And I think, you know, if you've overcome something like that in your life that you know you've had a problem with, I think it's worthy of celebrating. I mean, hell, we have Columbus Day. (laughs) (laughs) Here we go again, political again. (laughs) No, yeah. uh, didn't even discover America. (laughs) Oh, God. You are now listening to the RF Generation Playcast. The Playcast is the place where the single banana and I, Gregos81, discuss the monthly community playthrough games selected by us and shared by a community of gamers on RFGeneration.com and social media platforms like Twitter. This month, we're continuing our tradition of October-themed spookiness with Bloodstained, Curse of the Moon, This retro-themed action platformer is an homage to Castlevania III and was a Kickstarter stretch goal for Bloodstained Ritual of the Night. Is this bite-sized adventure worth sinking your fangs into, or is this just a terrible night to have a curse? Stay tuned to find out. You can listen to the show on Apple Podcasts and Podbean, or just visit rfgplaycast.com. On Twitter, I'm at RFG Playcast and Rich is at the single banana. Most importantly, be sure to log on to the RFGeneration.com forums to discuss the games with us and have a chance to get mentioned on the show. Thank you as always for listening, and now on with the Playcast. <laughs>
So, man, I got to tell you, you know, we had Kevin on the call last show, which was awesome. Real fun show. But uh, we uh, I think we had this discussion a few times about kids and how people are always complaining about their kids. And then you had mentioned that you might have liked to have had kids at one point in your life and you've kind of missed that boat. You know, no regrets or anything like that. But, you know, something that you definitely think about. Yeah. So let me tell you, man. You made the right decision. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I can't wait to tell my wife that. <laughs> so for the last day and a half, my PS4 has not been working. Oh. And it's oh not been reading disc. And I've been freaking out. I'm like, oh, my gosh, the next game we're playing is a PS4 game. What am I going to do? Am I going to have to buy a new PS4 right here before Christmas? You know, which I really don't want to do. And uh, so I took my PS4 part, broke the seal and everything, you know, the warranty seal, which I don't think it's still under warranty anyway, so it doesn't really matter. Right. Took it apart completely, looked at everything, everything looked okay. What was happening was a disc wasn't reading. You know how you'd mentioned to me before you'd buy some PS4 disc and they wouldn't read? Yeah, that happened to me a lot when I first got the system. I, I think I was just real unlucky with crappy used discs. No, you actually weren't. Uh, there's actually a fix that you can do for that, and it just involves doing like a system update, but not in the normal way. Um, oh. And there's videos online, there's short videos online that you can look at, and uh, if you're having trouble playing discs, there's several solutions. But anyway, so yesterday I took my PS4 completely apart. The disc drive was making a really like raunchy noise, and it wasn't reading my bloodstained disc, and I was going to try to play through it you know, one more time before the call. And so I tried all these fixes, nothing was working, and I just kept putting my disc in and putting it back out. And all of a sudden today, my disc comes out of the tray, and I notice the corner of something sticking out. And so I grab it and pull it out, and it is a damn limited run, bloodstained, curse of the moon playing card that my three-year-old had stuck inside. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> But the good news is it's working now. Everything's fine. But it was basically just blocking the laser, I guess. So, um, yeah, man, you made the right decision. Don't have kids. Don't do it. <laughs> if you're a gamer, do not have kids. <laughs> I don't, I'm not sure that's the exact lesson here that we want people to take away from that story. But but I get what you're saying, man. Yeah, that's that's crazy. I have similar things with my cats. Like they can't go near anything. Uh, when one of my cats was a kitten, he chewed up a ton of wiring, and I flipped out. Yeah. Uh, but from that point on, all my wiring has been wrapped up and tethered and <laughs> all that stuff. So. Hey, you know what? I'll take having to buy new wires over having to buy a new system any day, you know? And this is True. this is my PS4 yeah. Gold Edition, too, so it would be really, like, tougher Oof. to replace. Yeah. I, know, I know, so, uh, yeah, I've decided I'm going to buy some of those magnetic locks to put on my cabinet because they're very, like, non-invasive. You can't really see them, but you just run yep. a magnet over the front and it unlocks. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I know because I have those for my cats <laughs> to keep them out of those cabinets. <laughs> they work really well. <laughs> yeah. So conclusion, don't have kids or cats. Yep. <laughs> or any just, sort of animal. <laughs> just live like a live like a hermit. Play That's your right. games in peace. That's the only thing that matters. Oh uh, yeah, you're not missing out on anything. <laughs> <laughs> oh awesome. man. Well, I had a bit of fun this morning. I 
I did another race. This is the second time we're uh, recording a show after me doing a race. And I say doing a race because I didn't run it. I actually briskly walked it with Mrs. Grey Ghost. Oh, cool. Uh, so that was really nice. I will say Mrs. Grey Ghost was not pleased with me because I signed her up for this race without her <laughs> consent. And consent is very important, boys and girls. If you want to pound that pavement with a loved one, <laughs> make sure you get consent. But it, it ended up being a beautiful morning. If you want to pound that anything, get consent. <laughs> exactly. exactly. <laughs> um, no, it was really nice. Uh, this is an annual race called the Run for the Water that raises nice. money to get clean drinking water for a country called Burundi, which mm-hmm. is has uh, a little bit of a water crisis. So uh, they do this every year, and it's an awesome race downtown Austin. It was mighty chilly this morning. It's uh, I think we've had some of the coldest temperatures seasonally since like the 90s, my wife was telling me. Hmm. Uh, now, What's it down I, to like 70 or something? Well, that's the thing. Cold <laughs> is very relative. Uh, you know, I'm from New Jersey, and I actually, I work with a lot of people in Minneapolis, so I can't. I really can't complain about it being cold, quote unquote. <laughs> but uh, but it was it, it felt really chilly this morning until the sun came out. So yeah, uh, it was brisk. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's been getting cold around here as well. It's it's funny we'll have these like 65, 70 days, but then at night drops down below freezing. So it's it's wild, man. This weather is just so back and forth. So uh, I'm happy that we're finally getting into some fall weather, though. Actually. Speaking of fall weather, we had to cancel Halloween on Halloween night here, which I think a lot of people up and down the East Coast had to do. We had some uh, really bad weather, uh, warm and cold front kind of mingling and tornado warnings and watches and torrential downpours. And so my kids didn't get to go trick-or-treating on Thursday night, but we got it pushed to Friday night and actually went to another neighborhood that has a lot more houses that are kind of condensed on top of each other so we could uh trick-or-treat there and uh, it was pretty cool being on a friday night instead because we didn't have to hurry home you know for school the next day or anything so it was a lot of fun that's awesome yeah we had a a decent amount of trick-or-treaters but not as many as last year and i'm not exactly sure why because our weather here was nice and clear no precipitation whatsoever it was a little bit chilly but not like freezing cold at all so i'm not sure why i had such little traffic but the kids that showed up were i'm always amazed they're they're always super polite no matter what age there are whether it's little kids or teenagers or whatever and it's not their parent like i sometimes see parents standing all the way out on the road but i never had parents saying say thank you say thank you it's not like that Mm -hmm. at all they're just very good kids very very nice and grateful and polite and it was really awesome so yeah so you're saying there's hope for our generation after all i think there is i mean (laughs) uh you know i (laughs) i don't interact with children that much anymore i used to when i uh i used to work at an animal pound in new jersey and we got a lot of volunteers from the high school so i met a lot of younger people that way and they were fine too they were you know the cream of the crop to, sure. to be doing that in the first place, uh, volunteering their time like that. So I have a lot of hope for, for the younger generation and especially these little, <laughs> little trick or treaters, like for, I don't know if there were any four year olds, but there were some really, really young kids, let's say five or six years old. Mm-hmm. Uh, I saw a little guy dressed as Iron Man. He was like, 
you know, knee high to a grasshopper. It was pretty awesome. Oh man, my three year old was eating it up, man, just flying up and down driveways nice. dressed as a ghost, you know, just getting candy. <laughs> the bag got so heavy, like he had to drag it, you know, and he's about to tear a hole in it, so we had to transfer the candy. Um, here's a little life hack, parents. Bring a pillowcase to transfer the candy into oh, so yeah. it makes your kid look like they don't have any candy, so people give them more <laughs> and then you get to eat it later. So, you know, the best of both worlds. So, uh, speaking of Halloween, you've got here on the outline, you wanted to talk about some movies. You watched a few horror movies this uh, season, huh? Yeah, so this is uh, something we talk about every year, especially you, watching the movies with your uh, missus. And my wife actually got really into it this year, and she, almost every weekend this month, suggested that we watch a horror movie of some kind. And we watched some other ones that I didn't put on the outline that just weren't worth mentioning. But I saw two what you would call cult classics that I've always mm-hmm. wanted to watch. And I watched them both uh, legally on Amazon Prime, if anybody's interested. <laughs> uh, and those two movies are Terror Vision and The Gate. Uh, now, Terror Vision is an awesome comedy, basically, mm-hmm. but it's it's an overload of 80s culture. The characters are caricatures of... 80s archetypes but the movie is from back then but they just amped up what was popular at the time and it's about an uh, it's about an alien monster that's like a pet of this advanced alien species that comes down through the father's satellite for his tv and it's almost (laughs) like the thing where this monster can absorb uh the human characters and it, it is really funny and really entertaining, and I loved it. I can't believe it's taken me this long to see it. Although it, it was very familiar to me. So when I watch movies like this from the 80s, I can never... Sometimes I can't remember if I've seen it when I was a kid. Because, you know, my dad used to make me watch all these <laughs> horror movies <laughs> at, like, way too young of an age. Sounds like me. Yeah, something. it's very <laughs> similar, I think. Uh, so... These two movies, I don't know if I've already seen them. It seemed very familiar, but it was awesome. And then The Gate was... I would say if you like Stranger Things and you want to see something besides The Goonies that has that real like 80s gang of kids solving a mystery or fighting some kind of evil force kind of feel, The Gate is a really good movie for that. So, yeah, I just wanted to bring those up because they're really cool. Yeah, that's awesome, man. Uh, I've never seen Terror Vision, actually, but it's something I've always wanted to see, and I actually have it on my Amazon wish list, which I keep, and I usually get horror films for Christmas every year. And uh, it's actually on a double compilation. I think Scream Factory put it out with The Video Dead, which I also I've never seen before. But uh, yeah, I think the Blu-ray is only around 14 bucks or so, so you know, it might be worth an investment to have both of those. But The Gate is something I saw probably for the first time about five years ago, and we had put it on our uh, annual horror list to watch. And yeah, like you said, uh, somewhat similar to The Goonies as far as a gang of kids and stuff. From what I remember, this gate opens up underneath like a tree or something like that. Is that right? Yeah, they pull out a tree and there's like a gate to hell, basically. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and there's uh, there's really good claymation in this this movie, which yeah, was kind of I surprising. That. I wasn't expecting that. I didn't know that that was part of it. And it's really good. And once again, practical effects anytime over CG. It's just... 
there's something about it. Like you see claymation and you say, oh, I know that's claymation. I'd rather see it over CG. I don't care what the story is, the genre, the medium. Just give me things that exist in the real world. Yeah, I mean, it's that you can really appreciate the effort that's put into it, especially with claymation and things like that over CG. And I'm not saying there's no effort put into CG. I know that's not an easy thing to do. I mean, Mm -hmm. it's not something I could do myself. But with claymation, I mean, we're talking about every frame just clicked, you know, and yeah. uh, and everything is handmade. There's a whole tactile experience going on there. And so there's, I think there's something that, you know, I can really appreciate about it, seeing all that type of work. And especially like when you're watching like an old like Ray Harryhausen film, like um, The Seventh Voyage of Sinbad or um, what was the other big one? Do you remember? Uh, Clash of the Titans. Yeah, he did that one too. So yeah. uh, a few great films. I, I love those old films like that. So um, what are some of the other films you watched? I'm just curious. You don't have to talk about them a whole lot, but I've got a kind of a big list that I'm going to go through real quickly as well. No, that's fine. We watched one called, uh, it was called The Things That Haunt You, I believe. Okay. And uh, it just wasn't good. It was a compilation of short films, so it felt like a creep show or a VHS, but it, it wasn't, it was different directors for each short film, so it wasn't oh, okay. an anthology in the same sense. Uh, yeah. But it just wasn't great. Like, usually when you watch one of those compilations or anthologies, you can latch on to a couple of them as being really good, even with those VHS. Have you ever seen the VHS series, Rich? Uh, I don't think so, no, huh? Oh, you should check it out. The first two are pretty decent, then they kind of go downhill. But that's like, that's almost like a found footage anthology movie. I didn't realize it was an anthology. I didn't realize it was a bunch of different stories put together into one. I thought it was just one cohesive uh, film. Yeah, they do have a wraparound story usually, okay, but nice. yeah, it's a, it's a bunch of different little stories. But yeah, this this movie, the things that haunt you, there weren't. There was one that actually started out like really funny, and it was a really good idea. But then it it just went downhill. And for it being like a short film, like a five or ten minute thing, it's like man, you couldn't just you couldn't hold together something cohesive for like ten minutes to just entertain me from start to finish. But. Yeah, that was one of the other ones we watched, and... Well, I'll just say, like, we've talked about this before, but probably the best Halloween compilation film like that would be Trick or Treat. Yes, yeah. So good. Yeah, that's one of our favorites. That's one of my favorite movies ever, and it's one that we usually watch around this time of year, so I I also highly recommend that one. I think we watched others, but I can't remember them, so I'll, I'll just kick it over to you. You're more the the expert here. All right, man. So I actually watched 14 movies this season, and so what I thought I would do is just kind of rank them, like going down to my favorite, and uh, just briefly maybe just say a few words about each one. Cool. At number 14 is Rob Zombie's Halloween. That just happened to be on the TV one night, and I started watching it. I was like, I'm going to give it another chance. Just check it out. Man, what a stinker of a film. I love Rob Zombie. I love White Zombie. I love everything he puts his efforts into. But, man, the horror genre, especially with the Halloween remakes, uh, man, a stinking pile of dog shite. Terrible. Uh, (laughs) I, I hate it. You know, trying to explain why Michael Myers is the way he is, like completely takes away what makes the movie scary, in my opinion. 
you know, and yeah. Uh, yeah, just don't care for it. Number 13 was a film called Truth or Dare. And Sean, please ring in if you've seen any of these films. But it's basically a haunted house film where these young uh, teenagers go to a house and uh, play a game of Truth or Dare and the house makes them do very, very sinister things, and they have to finish the game to survive. So, not very good. Uh, Number 12, Grabbers. I think I mentioned this last time. It's basically a film that's set in Ireland with these alien sea monsters that are attacking these villagers, and the way to stop them is that they don't like alcohol, so everyone has to get drunk and fight them off. That's really funny. Our, our listeners will remember last month I made like an off-color joke about Irish people, <laughs> and I thought that was bad, but that what it actually is is just as bad. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> yeah, That's and awesome. I didn't mention it at the time, but I, I figure I can like give this away because it's in the trailer, you know, so yeah. you know, you're not missing anything. Um, gotcha. Number 11 was a film called Graduation Day. Uh, Vanna White from Will of Fortune has a a small role in here, but you actually never see her face. The version I watched was really grainy, old DVD. Not a great film, but a little bit of fun. You know, it's an old 80s film, kind of campy. It's about this group of high school students who are on a track team, and each of them start dying off one by one, and you're trying to figure out who the killer is. Lots of red herrings and that sort of thing, so... It's okay. Not very good death scenes or anything like that and very cheaply made. Number 10, The Howling. It's a werewolf film that we watched. It's actually shot very beautifully. It's a very beautiful film. But, uh, yeah, man, there are like two deaths in the whole film, and it was really, really disappointing. It seems like they were more concerned with art style than anything. Joe Dante, who did Gremlins and Gremlins 2, actually directed this film. So, um not one I would recommend if you're really into werewolf movies. If you like werewolf movies, please see Dog Soldiers. That movie is incredible. Have you seen that one, Sean? No. Put that on your list, man. It's good. Check it out. Number nine was a film that a lot of people talked about, and there's a lot of hype behind it. It was called Hush. And this is about a woman who is deaf and mute, and she lives on her own out in the woods, and it's a home invasion movie where the killer just sort of messes with her the whole time and knows of her situation. And, uh, you know, she ends up kind of fighting back and that sort of thing. It was really well done and beautifully shot, but there are a lot of holes where you're like, kind of like, why didn't they do this? Why didn't they do that? And I don't mind that in a film because I know, like, if you're in a situation, you're not always thinking clearly. But this was, like, mm-hmm. constant. And the other thing is the killer shows his face, like, five minutes after you're introduced to him. And it kind of ruins it. It kind of personalizes the killer, which I didn't like. Because he has a great mask. And they should have just kept it. But anyway. Uh, <laughs> number eight was a film called The Invitation. Great premise. is about this party of friends. They were friends a long time ago. It's the ex-wife of a guy, and he's taking his new girlfriend over to his uh, ex-wife's house. Apparently, there's been this tragedy that happened between them, and they got separated, and the wife's sort of acting kind of weird, and they get this group of friends together into a party. Pretty intense film, and I really like the idea behind it a lot, but the characters are sort of despicable, and that's the one thing that I don't like about them. It's just like kind of snooty L.A. crowd, and, uh, you know, you don't really care if they live or die. There's no real connection as far as, you know, you wanting them to survive. But I would say it's definitely a movie that is worth your time checking out, and it's on Netflix. 
Okay. As well as Hush and uh, Truth or Dare. Those three I, I watched on Netflix. Halloween 3, Season of the Witch, is coming in at number seven. I like this film a lot. I know a lot of people don't like it because it doesn't have Michael Myers. It's cheesy, it's campy, but uh, it's worth a watch and a lot of fun. I think it stands out pretty well on its own. I don't know. You've seen this one, right? Uh, no, we talked about this last month. I still haven't seen it, but I have always wanted to. I don't know what's stopping me. Is that <laughs> easy, easily found, or do you have like a DVD of that? I have a DVD of it, so I'm not sure okay. how easily found it is. But uh, AMC always plays it around Halloween, so you know if you can't find it streaming, you know, I'd say just kind of wait around to the season because they play all those Halloween movies, even Part Three. Okay. Uh, number six, Nightmare on Elm Street Part Two. I actually watched this as a prelude to watching part three because I hadn't seen part two before. Um, it's pretty good. It's not a bad film, but as far as that like really creepy, scary vibe, as far as the Nightmare on Elm Street films are concerned, I just always think number one is just like the top-notch film, you know. And uh, what's funny is we had a Halloween party at our house the Saturday before Halloween, and I got pretty loaded, and we had a 14-foot movie screen in the backyard that my neighbor brought over. And we were just playing silent films on it. And I was like, let's go get Nightmare on Elm Street Part 1 and pop it in. (laughs) So we did that, man. And our party goers were just like, what the hell? They were freaked (laughs) out because, you know, all those childhood memories were coming back. You know, and it was great. It made for some great conversation that night. So, uh, yeah, a lot of fun. Number five was a film I saw called The Autopsy of Jane Doe, which, again, a great premise. This was on Netflix as well. I would say give this one a shot. It's really, really creepy. Basically, this body's found, and uh, it follows this father and son who own a a mortuary, and um, they're running tests and everything on it for the police to try to find out what happened. And uh, through the autopsy and through just different forensics, they find out about this body, and and man, it is super creepy. It has a super great buildup. For me, the end was a little disappointing, and there's a reason for that, but I don't think for most people it would be. I think most people would really enjoy this film. Number four was a movie called Trick or Treat, and um, this is a film about the rock star legend Sammy Kerr, who possesses this boy to do devious acts by playing a record backwards. Gene Simmons and Ozzy Osbourne both make appearances in this film. (laughs) And uh, it's one that I've had for a long time and I've never seen. And everyone's like, you got to see it. You got to see it. And I watched it. And man, it's really good. I thought it would be like really cheaply made and horrible. But yeah, you definitely got to check Trick or Treat out. Have you seen this one, Sean? No, I have not. I've heard of it, but I haven't seen it. What was the film that we watched a few years ago that Travis had us watch? Do you remember what? Brain Scan. Yeah. You remember that one? <laughs> I don't know. I Did I watch it? I can't even remember. I thought you did. Okay. I might have. I watch so many movies, sometimes <laughs> they just fade into memory, you know what I mean? Yeah, well, if you like that one, I think uh, Trick or Treat would be a good one to see. Uh, And then at number three, Nightmare on Elm Street Part 3, Dream Warriors. Other than Part 1, Part 3 is hands down the second best film. I agree completely. Man, the premise of it is so awesome and the way they introduce you to the kids and everything. Uh, I could have done with a lot more of Wizard Kid. He dies a little too quickly for me. But But, uh, otherwise, a lot of fun. And this was Intervention Night for my wife as well. That's awesome. I got to tell you, I've talked about Winona Ryder as being one of my biggest childhood crushes. I, mm-hmm. I don't know if I've ever said it on the show, but 
Heather Langenkamp, who plays Nancy in the Nightmare on Elm Street movies, was perhaps my other biggest childhood crush. <laughs> yeah. And she was in a TV show called Just the Ten of Us, and she played this... She played the nerdy character, and I was still in love with her. I watched that show for just to see her in it. Thusly, Nightmare on Elm Street 1 and 3 are my favorites in the series. Yeah, um, Nightmare on Elm Street 3 also stars Patricia Arquette. So if you're yeah. into Patricia Arquette, she's definitely in this film and does a great job in it. really enjoyed that film. Number two was a film called The Slayer. This was a 80s horror film that basically was sort of hidden away in the vaults. And then Arrow Video did uh, a cleanup of this film. And uh, it's brilliant, man. It's about this woman who is a uh, sort of a famous artist. And she's having a big struggle with her artwork. And she keeps painting all these scenes of these houses and this sort of island And to kind of help her out and to get her out of her slump, her husband and her brother and sister-in-law take her on a trip to an island. And what happens is she starts seeing all these buildings and stuff that she had been painting in her dreams. And uh, murder ensues. I'm not going to give away the ending. But there's an incredible twist ending in this film that I was like, what the f***? What's going on? And I, I couldn't put it together, but then I actually watched some reviews on it and put it together, and it's simply brilliant. It's a great film, and I think anyone who's into horror, especially slashers, there's not a lot of deaths or anything, but it's a very, very good thriller, and that's called The Slayer. And it was actually filmed in Georgia off of uh, Tybee Island, so not too far away from here. And then my number one ranked movie that I actually watched during our annual movie nights, it was our first film we watched, it was called The Burning, And I got to tell you, man, I don't know why this film has not gotten more hype. It is clearly a Friday the 13th ripoff. It's about a guy who was a groundskeeper and the kids play a trick on him and he gets burned really bad. And then he comes back, you know, of course, years later to start murdering. And uh, his name's Cropsy. And so he has the burnt skin and he's got a huge pair of shears that he kills people with. So knives Mm -hmm. on his hand. So what are we automatically thinking? Freddy Krueger, right? Yeah. And this film was before Nightmare on Elm Street. So clearly, Wes Craven got some of his influence from the film The Burning. It has Jason Alexander in it (laughs) from Seinfeld fame. And uh, it's really, really well done and really good. If you enjoy the Friday the 13th films, you got to check out The Burning. That was the number one film that I watched this season. So that's it, man. Nice. I have seen The Burning, but a, a bunch of those other ones are on my radar. I still watch a lot of YouTube videos of horror movie reviews and top 10 underrated horror movies yeah, and horror so movie hidden gems on Netflix and all those other types of videos. So uh, I've heard of a lot of the things you just talked about, but I guess my backlog is still growing on those. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of people dying, it says here that you have a health milestone, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> what a transition. <laughs> <laughs> that was good. <laughs> I don't know. I wasn't going to talk about this at first, but then I thought sometimes when you share things like this, it can help other people. And I know that for a fact because other people sharing their experiences, whether it's been directly with me or just sharing them out into the world, was helpful to me. So on October 15th, uh, it was actually my three-year anniversary of sobriety. So I haven't actually... 
It's weird. A lot of people probably celebrate the first day they were sober, but I actually celebrate the last day I had a drink because that was the first time I saw Shin Godzilla, which is now probably my favorite movie ever. (laughs) So October 15th, I kind of tie those two events together. And sometimes my personal philosophy is like, you shouldn't have to celebrate ceasing doing something that you weren't supposed to be doing in the first place, right? So you don't get a prize for stopping doing drugs or stopping drinking alcohol. But I don't feel that way anymore. I really feel like it's important to share your struggle because a lot of other people, millions of people struggle with this. I'm not going to name names of people we know, but sometimes people tweet something out and you don't realize like that can have a big impact on people. Yeah. I'm a big fan of Bridget Fetisy. She's a comedian who does a podcast called Walk-Ins Welcome, and she talks a lot about recovery and addiction and her own struggles with drugs and alcohol. So, yeah, I just want to say if you're out there struggling with any of that kind of stuff with addiction, reach out for help. Talk to people. Talk to me. Email me. Tweet me. It's fine. I'm happy to share. Uh, I don't want to belabor the whole thing, but yeah, when I look back on what was going on back then in my life and how much my life and my marriage and all aspects of everything that I'm involved in have improved since then, it's definitely something I'm going to stick with. Awesome, man. And it's definitely something you should celebrate. I know, you know, you say, you know, maybe it's something you shouldn't. You think it's maybe kind of silly to say that, but uh, I completely disagree with that. I think, you know, if you've overcome something like that in your life that you know you've had a problem with, I think it's worthy of celebrating. I mean, hell, we have Columbus Day. (laughs) (laughs) Here we go, getting political again. (laughs) No, yeah. uh, You didn't even discover America. (laughs) Oh, God. (laughs) oh man yeah uh thank you no yeah that's where i'm at now i've totally like done a 180 on that feeling i I feel like it's better to to talk it out and to share Uh, so yeah like i said thank you to the people who have and that's why I'm, i'm mentioning it here just keep fighting the good fight and uh you're not alone and just take it one day at a time that's all i can say right on well, let's go from a serious note to talking about what our asshole friends pointed out this month as <laughs> things we screwed up on. And I gotta say, we didn't have any friends that really pointed anything out. So this show is gonna be more like things our asshole host pointed out. <laughs> because, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, because I gotta say, our last guest, Kevin was really good about looking things up. And any time that we wouldn't know the name of something, he would just stop, he would look it up or come back and pop in later and uh, enlighten us, if you will, on uh, what we missed. So I would like to give a shout-out to Kevin. Sir, you are the preparation H of our (laughs) podcast covering our asses. We appreciate it, my friend. Perfect. All right. So one of the things, and this wasn't really a mistake, but something we decided to tweak. Uh, We mentioned our December competition that's coming up. We're doing the Wii Light Gun Shooter games. And we had said that we were going to play Dead Space Extraction. Well, our good friend Crabmaster2000 said, I don't know if this is going to be a good game for that because it doesn't really have that arcadey sort of feel. There's not really any point totaling where we can compete. So I said, you know, that's great. You know, I'm glad you pointed that out. Sometimes you and I just like 
look at games and say, hey, this looks like it would be a fun game, and you know, maybe we don't really look into it as deep as we should. That's on me because I'm the one that picked them out. So we decided to change that and to go with Attack of the Movies 3D, which is a fun arcade shooter where you're inside of the movies and fighting different aliens and bugs and skeletons and all kinds of crazy stuff. So it should be a lot of fun and it should work itself well into our competition for December. The other thing is that I had mentioned that I got 13 Atari controllers from a guy on Twitter that I had met, but I could not think of his name. And so I wanted to give a shout out to Steve the Atari guy who actually sent me 13 controllers for this art project I'm working on. Thanks a lot, Steve. Sorry I forgot your name in the last episode, but glad that we could clear that up and uh, you know give you your well-deserved props. And then one of the other things that I said, we were mentioning the Phoebe Kate scene from Fast Times at Ridgemont High. And I said, do you think it's wrong that I'm thinking of Judd Nelson right now during that scene? Well, I didn't mean Judd Nelson. It's Judge Reinhold. Reinhold. I didn't even think of that till just now. That's so funny. (laughs) Yeah, because, you know, in that same scene, Judge Reinhold's just spanking it, you know, and it's it's sort of the dream sequence. So uh, that was my intended joke, and it came off poorly as uh, Judd Nelson. But, uh, you know, hey, Judd Nelson's still an 80s guy, so I wasn't that far off. That's funny. (laughs) And then I wanted to help our friend Kevin out. Kevin went to the Black Sabbath Motorhead show in 1994, and the lead singer for Black Sabbath at that time was Tony Martin. And so I know we had discussed, you know, who the lead singer might have been at that time. But yeah, Tony Martin was the lead singer, and so I just wanted to clarify that. Tony Martin. Yeah. Rather than sounding like a heavy metal front man (laughs) for Black Sabbath, sounds like a Las Vegas lounge singer. (laughs) Sounds like a guy that would sell you a bad used car. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Oh, I got this from Tony. Tony, yeah, Tony. (laughs) That's like the least heavy metal name I've ever heard. Right. Ladies and gentlemen, Tony Martin. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my goodness. All right, man, what do you say? Let's get into the concert cast. Hell yeah. So we'll start with a score, ticket score that I got. My friend... Frank. Shout out to Frank. Shout out Frank. Yeah, I grew up with him in New Jersey and he actually recently moved to Austin for a big, awesome career move, which may loom in our distant future. And I'm not going to say anything more about it at this time. But uh, Frank is a big fan of a band called The Menzingers. They are a band that I've heard of, but was not familiar with their music. But he texted me and said, hey, I'm going to the show, Menzingers at the Mohawk. And you know me, if it's at the Mohawk, I'll go to it. I don't care if it's a washboard jug band uh, (laughs) playing bluegrass music. I will hang out at the Mohawk with you anytime. So I actually looked them up and they're a really good pop punk band with kind of that rock and roll like Bruce Springsteen-y influence, Rich, and I think you would like them a lot. Okay. Uh, but what was a bonus for me, when I looked up the show to buy the tickets, the band Tiger's Jaw is opening the show, and astute listeners will remember that Tiger's Jaw is one of my favorite bands, and we saw them live uh, a couple years ago. 
And so I was like, oh, well, what a bonus. Like I got to hang out with my friend and see one of his favorite bands. And now he gets to see one of my favorite bands because he wasn't familiar with Tiger's Jaw. So it's going to be a really cool night. And I'm very excited for it. Nice. Uh, so I, I'm going to report back on two shows that I have gone to since we last recorded. One was the Gouge Away show. And we've talked about them. We've played their music on the show before. Again, just a kind of post-hardcore screamo band with a female lead vocalist. They were amazing, as usual. But one of the great surprises of the show was this band called Soul Glow. And that's spelled S-O-U-L-G-L-O. And they're like this experimental rap hardcore group and they were amazing absolutely astonishing like i don't know how to explain it. <laughs> like they were rapping they were sampling stuff but they were also just playing music like a hardcore band i guess the closest comparisons i could think of is if you put death grips and bad brains together that right. would be kind of what you could expect with soul glow <laughs> But that was one of these instances of like seeing an opening band that was like a game change, which is funny because I discovered Gouge Away when they were opening for another, when they were opening for Touche Amore back when I saw them. So there's just like this chain. So now next time Soul Glow comes around on tour, I'll see them and some other opening band will just blow my mind and uh, we'll keep the chain going. Are they named after that movie, The Last Dragon? Have you ever seen that? I don't know. I don't know. There's this hair product. (laughs) It's sort of a black exploitation Bruce Lee film. And uh, there's this hair product that's called Soul Glow. Okay. It could be. Wait, is that from Coming to America? God, I can't remember. Oh, Oh, corrections. Those are two very different movies. (laughs) They are. I think it's from Coming to America because what I'm thinking of Last Dragon is he has this thing called the glow, which is like he like moves his arms around and they start glowing. And I okay. think Soul Glow is actually from Coming to America. I could be wrong, though. Corrections. <laughs> Verify. <laughs> <laughs> um And then one other show I went to was Danny Brown. And I was talking about Danny Brown last month. And the show was a little weird because it was at the same place I saw Shonen Knife. It's a venue called the Empire Control Room and Garage. And first of all, last month, here's a teeny tiny correction. I said this is a new venue. It's not a new venue in the city. What I meant to say was that it was my first time ever being there. So it was new to me. Gotcha. Uh, gotcha. So just a little minor correction where I misspoke there. However, when I saw Shonen Knife, it was at the Empire Control Room, which I guess is their like inside venue. When I saw Danny Brown, it was at the Garage, which is their outdoor portion of the venue. I didn't love it. I got to tell you, I it's been a while since I've been to a place. I was like, I don't really like this venue. But there was like, mm-hmm. it's literally in a garage, which is kind of cool. But then there's this like U-shaped barrier where you would stand and then like a five foot gap between the front of that barrier and the stage. And then there's this like, they called it homies access. But so I don't know if it's like VIP or something you have to spend extra money for. Probably. So yeah. yeah so it was like, it created like this haves and have nots kind of situation. And it's like, <laughs> oh, I'm in here with the 
with the swine and the the all access floor seats area kind of and to make to make matters a little bit worse you remember i told you last month when i got to the shona knife show it said 7 p.m and i got there at 7 p.m and the show started at 7 p.m so i figured oh same thing here so at 7 p.m i got there at 7 the show didn't start till nine. And so for two hours, I had to stand there amongst everybody else, Ugh. just chilling. And there was a guy DJing for two hours. Now, he wasn't a bad DJ. I'm not complaining about, you know, he was just playing all kinds of rap classics. And people were just chilling, having a drink. And But I was just standing there like, God, this is excruciatingly boring. Like... I was just going back and forth between scrolling Twitter and checking the scores of the Astros game because there's, uh, you know, the playoffs are going <laughs> yeah, on. Yeah, so, yeah. but then the first guy who came out was this rapper named Mike Repino, and he came out, and he was just psychotic, dude. He came out, he was jumping into the crowd, crowd surfing, moshing, just going off, and it was pretty awesome. It woke everybody up, and then. Uh, one of the other noteworthy openers was Ash Nico, and she's like a female rapper, pop singer, which you would think would be kind of up my alley. And I did like her, but her lyrics, the raunch level is a little bit too high for my tastes. Uh, I can take a little bit of that, but if it's all just too raunchy all the time, then I'm not super into it. But she was good live, and it was very entertaining. Now, Danny Brown himself... He friggin' crushed it. He came out and he was just awesome. He was just perfect flow. It was just awesome. His DJ was great. Like the way they were improvising together was awesome. And he played Die Like a Rockstar, which I mentioned last month on the show. I thought that was kind of a deeper cut, but he played that and he played another song, Ain't It Funny, which are probably my two favorite songs by his. He played those back to back. He was just awesome. And I'm. Even though, like, the lead up to him was, like, very long and excruciating. I was like, before he came on, I was like, man, I really didn't need to come to the show. But after he played, I was like, okay, this was worth it. So that's it for my concert cast for this month. Awesome, man. Well, I only have one, but it's kind of a big one that you and I talked about. Yeah. And this was actually last night. I thought I was going to be drawing a blank for the concert cast, and I was like, oh, wait, yeah, I'm going to the show tonight. I can talk about it tomorrow, <laughs> which was awesome. Uh, my wife and I went out to dinner last night and had a, sort of an adult night away from the kids and got a babysitter and uh, went to go see Elvis Costello um, nearby, actually in our town at a new place. And it was the first time I had been there as well. It was called um, uh, Piedmont Concert concert hall it's here in greensboro and it's a smaller venue uh it was general admission so we got there about an hour early and you know got over to the side of the stage we were probably second row back and my wife's a little claustrophobic when it comes to stuff like this but she did fine because the crowd was awesome it was a lot of older people quite honestly we were some of the younger people there and we're in our early 40s but i would say most of the crowd was probably in the late 50s to early 60s range, including our governor who showed up for the show, and he was right <laughs> cool. behind us. Yeah, pretty cool. Um, but yeah, you were talking about like those like secluded areas where you have to pay more to get into. Of course, he had his own area because you know he had bodyguards and everything like that, and he had his friends in a certain area that they had roped off. But I think for an additional $25, you could go to this area that had like a private bar and drinks and uh, stuff like that. And I think you could buy tickets online 
line for it or pay once you got there. They had a certain amount. So, yeah, I mean, there was that kind of feeling of the have and have nots, but it wasn't to the extreme that, you know, you were talking about, you know, mm. like with the specific VIP section and all the standing stuff and up to the front of the stage was all general admission. You know what That's I mean? Good. So the only perks were that those people could sit down at tables and bar stools and they had a bar close to them, but that was pretty much the only perk, which is not something I really care about when I'm in a concert. You know, for me, it's about getting as close as I can at a general admission show. But Elvis was incredible. He still has an amazing voice. And he started out playing some songs, and, you know, it was kind of slower, not as upbeat, you know, and just kind of tame that you would think of when you might see an older artist. But, man, about halfway through the show, he came up to the front of the stage, and he had these two backup singer girls. And, man, he just went into, like, seven songs straight, and, I mean, rocked it out. That's awesome. It was amazing. And one of the things I did not realize about Elvis Costello and something that made me appreciate him so much more, he has a four-piece band. It was Elvis and the Imposters, who's his backup group for a long time back in, I want to say, the early to mid-80s, and they had come back together. He has one guy on the keys, he has a drummer, and he has a bass player. Elvis Costello is the only one that plays guitar. So he played guitar that entire show. And it was fantastic. I did not realize that. You know, a lot of bands, you might have a rhythm guitar player and you might have a lead guitar player, but he is the only guitar player in that show. And he can tear it up, man. I had no idea. That is pretty impressive, especially for someone older like that. And to sing, too. Yeah, and accompanying himself and with a backup band like that, there's almost no reason to not throw in a second guitarist just to fill that in. So that's pretty cool that that he just took it all on himself. Now, I'm curious, I'm largely ignorant of Elvis Costello's discography. I, I consider myself a fan, but I really only truly know three of his albums being My Aim is True, Get Happy, and Armed Forces. So what was the set list like? Because he has probably 50 other albums that I really am not familiar with, and I wonder what it would be like seeing him. It was all over the place. However, he did play maybe three songs out off of My Aim is True, and he played a few songs off of Last Year's Model. Okay. Which, if you have not heard that album, Sean... That is my favorite. You gotta get that. It's his earlier stuff. Last year's model's fantastic. Some of the songs have a bit of a reggae vibe to them, uh, yeah. which he pulls off really well. I Don't Want to Go to Chelsea is one of my favorite songs. I was really hoping I would get to hear that. It had been on several of his set lists. And the cool thing about him is he doesn't play the same set list for every show. He does different songs and stuff. So most of the shows he was starting out with the song Pump It Up, which you probably know. Yes. Uh, but he played that toward the middle of the show to get the crowd going. And so that was pretty cool that he switched it up like that. And so, uh, yeah, fantastic. If you have a chance to go see him, please do, because he sounds phenomenal. He still sounds so good. And uh, he's a really cool guy. A lot of fun. He talks to the crowd a lot, which is cool. A lot of times you go to a show and the artists don't speak a lot, but not him. He's uh, he's a talker and he tells some funny stories too. And uh, it, was, it was good times, man. So uh, yeah, enjoyed it. Sweet. I'm going to drop a correction on you. Are you ready? Sure. Do it, man. Because <laughs> you said it last month too. And I'm like, is that is that what it's called? 
So the 1978 Elvis Costello album is actually called This, this Year's, year's model. model. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not last year's, this year's model. You're right. Yes, sir. Um, and I wanted to ask you a question. Have you ever seen, there's a really awesome clip from some Saturday Night Live special that they did <laughs> a long yeah. ass time ago. This is the radio radio thing? Yeah, with the Beastie Boys. Have you ever seen that? No, no, I haven't seen that. No, yeah. I you are talking about something else. So I'm not talking about, so every. Well, maybe not everybody knows, but for those who don't know, Elvis Costello had one of the more infamous Saturday Night Live musical appearances where he came out and started playing the song Less Than Zero, but then he like interrupted his band in this big showy way, waving his arms, and they ended up playing Radio Radio. Which they were told not to play. Right. And the whole, yeah. the whole story behind that is really fascinating, but... They did a Saturday Night Live, I think it was like a 20th or 30th anniversary. It's from kind of a way back where they reenacted that with the Beastie Boys. And the Beastie Boys come out and they start playing Sabotage. And Elvis Costello comes out on stage and <laughs> interrupts them and waves his arms and say, no, 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 they wanted us to play that song, but here's what we really want to play. And he plays Radio Radio with the BC Boys backing oh, him up. Wow. It's one of the yeah. coolest things I've ever seen. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. And, and, you know, I don't really know the story behind why they didn't want him to play that song. Radio Radio is basically a song about people being force-fed music, yep. you know, and the music industry just sucking. And I don't know why they didn't want him to play that, but um, he did it anyway, and it's awesome. It's one of the best Saturday Night Live moments ever. And so you and I were sort of on the same page there. You know, I was thinking of the uh, his his thing, and you were thinking of the Beastie Boys thing, but it's all related together, so that's cool. Yeah, awesome. Sorry, ladies and gentlemen, but there's just really no reason to do this song here tonight. One, two, three, four! Get cut up, they don't want to 
We got something in the news that's kind of like dovetails with the concert cast. So. <laughs> yes, it does. Yeah, tell me about this. Yeah, so I was listening to XM Radio the other day, and they mentioned something about a possible Pantera reunion. This isn't in stone yet, so you can just take this as rumor, but apparently uh, Phil Anselmo has been in touch with Zach Wild. Do you know who Zach Wild is, by chance? Yeah. Okay, Black Label Society, lead singer, guitar player, but also he's Ozzy's guitar player. Really talented guy, so they've been in the works and talking about a possible Pantera reunion, so that would be pretty cool. You know, I know Dimebag's hard to replace, but uh, I'd go see it. I don't know about you, it'd be a fun show. I mean, I don't know enough about Pantera to be excited. Uh, I'm excited for all the metalhead friends that I have in this community, uh, (laughs) for sure. Actually, it's funny that you should mention this Pantera reunion because there's actually a confirmed reunion that I've heard about recently, and that's My Chemical Romance. I don't know if you're a fan of theirs, but it's been rumored for a long time and fans have been begging for it and they're actually going to reunite. The only thing that was announced as far as news of this was that they're playing a reunion show, Mm -hmm. but if they go on a reunion tour... Boy, I mean, if I can get my hands on tickets because they're going to sell out in two seconds, uh, that would be something I would I'd be dying to see them. Yeah, cool, man. Yeah, I'm not very familiar with any of their music. I know that they have a huge following, though. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, you might have to point me in the direction of uh, some albums to check out. Sure. The other thing in the news that I wanted to briefly discuss was November 8th, which is just a few days away, Death Stranding's coming out, and there's been some <laughs> buzz online about this game, quite a bit actually, as far as uh, whether people were going to purchase this game or not based on what they've seen. And I was just kind of curious to get your thoughts on, is this something that's going to be a day one purchase for you, and uh, what are your thoughts on what you've seen so far? I don't think it'll be a day one purchase, but I am interested in it. I'm a Hideo Kojima devotee, as our listeners know, and I I will play anything he puts out. So I 100% will play this game. It's just a question of, am I going to run out and buy it as soon as possible, or am I going to wait until I can get it on a Gamefly sale or something like that. And it's seeming like it's going to be a Gamefly sale kind of thing. I've watched a a few reviews of it, and it looks like the kind of game that you can really stretch your legs and take your time with, and you really got to devote yourself like mentally to it. Right now, I'm really in a in the mood to just tear through games and roll credits like constantly, <laughs> which we will hear about yeah, later. <laughs> yes, you will. Um, <laughs> so right now, it doesn't really meet the frame of mind that I'm in, but I'm still excited. And I've watched a few reviews from people who I trust and from people who I know are into this kind of stuff as much as I am. So mm-hmm. I am excited for the game. It just might be a little bit of time before I actually get to it. What about you? Uh, you know, I'm on the same page you are. This is definitely a Gamefly sale game that uh, I'll pick up when it hits probably the $20 mark or so. I am excited about it in Kojima We Trust. It looks weird as hell, so I'm definitely sold. <laughs> you know, I yeah. like anything that's bizarre, that's strange, that really goes off the beaten path. And so for me, I'm very, very interested in this. And the fact that critics don't like it makes me even more interested in it, you know? So, uh, absolutely. 
definitely want to play this game. It's definitely something I'm going to be adding to the collection, but it's not something that I'm going to go out day one and buy, which I don't remember the last time that I had like a day one go out and buy a purchase other than limited run game stuff, you know, which right. you, know, you have to be a day one or you're not going to get a copy properly. Or you're going to pay out the butt for it. So um, definitely interested in it. Definitely want to play it and um, just trying to uh, kind of stave off all the negativity and just, you know, make that decision on my own. Sure. All right. Well, let's get into pickups. What you got, Sean? All right. So as far as my pickups, uh, I actually have a few and they're all pretty interesting, I think. So first, because I'm a big, fat, stupid idiot and I hate money, I bought a 2DS. (laughs) (laughs) I have two of those doorstops. Oh, my God. Rich, I have, let me see, I have four DSs and four 3DSs. What on earth do I need a 2DS for? And even when I was in GameStop, the guys helping me out, they were very kind. And I was being my normal, like, collecting nerd self with, oh, can I see that one? Oh, can I see the other one? Oh, can I see them both at once? Oh, what about this? What about this? And the one guy was like, dude, why don't you just buy a 3DS? I was like, (laughs) oh, actually, I have a bunch of those already. I just want this because I don't have one. Uh, so yeah, I bought a 2DS and it's cool. It's, it's a nice little toy to have. I'm, I don't regret buying it. It was only 40 bucks. I bought it cause it was on sale. So yeah, a little bit hard to find in my area too. There was only one store around me and it was in the hood. So I had to go to a hood GameStop and they actually had two units and I was comparing them, but ended up getting one blue or red. I got the blue one. It's funny. They had a blue one and a red one, and they were both in similar condition, like a little beat up. Both of them were, but not so beat up that I would pass on them. Uh, so I ended up just getting the blue one. Isn't there a green version of that, like a Zelda version? Yeah, there's a, there are a few like tie-in versions, special editions. Uh, mm-hmm. They have uh, clear cases, too. Uh-huh. There's all kinds of different colors, but I ended up just getting the blue and black one. So it's pretty cool. Next, I got from Limited Run Games, I got River City Girls for the Switch. I also got that. Cool. Uh, I'm actually currently playing it, and I won't talk about it in What Are You Playing? Because I'm only going to talk about games that I'm finished with in that segment, because there's so damn many. Uh, So River City Girls came with this CD soundtrack, which I didn't didn't realize that it was coming with that, and I kind of wish it didn't, because it's just another piece of crap on my shelf that I'm... (laughs) never gonna look at but um no actually playing it the soundtrack is actually really good so i might rip it and put it on my ipod so it's a cool retro beat-em-up i started it last night and i was having real trouble with it but i was talking to crabby in our group chat and he said you know those old river city games you kind of have to explore a little and level up and get accessories and items it's not just like turtles in time beat them up where you're just running around and if you fight all the enemies you're good to go it's mm-hmm. it's more of a adventure game mixed in with a beat them up so once i took that advice to heart i'm having a little bit of a better time with it it's a pretty hard game but it's it's good and then my last group of pickups is is really cool my i have a coworker named sid who he actually studied abroad in japan when he was younger when he was in college and recently he took a vacation to Japan the last couple of weeks. And I asked him, would you be able to 
grab some stuff for me while you're there. And he was very happy to oblige, which was awesome. So I gave him a long list of stuff, and most of it wasn't even video game related. But one thing I asked him for was Japanese Game Boy games. And I just said, just get me Game Boy games that aren't Mahjong. And, you know, don't worry, you know, just pick out whatever looks cool. Like, I don't care if you get me a duplicate, I'll, I'll deal with it. So he actually did good. He got me Link's Awakening. Donkey Kong Land and this other game called Sports Collection, which is actually a compilation of like five other Game Boy games. So that, I thought that was pretty cool. I'm kind of conflicted because they came in these cool sleeves that are like sealed and they have like price stickers on them and yen and all this other stuff and these like foil seals on them. So it's like I might just leave them in these little packages they came in because they look so cool. Nice. Because, you know, I don't need to play the Japanese version of Link's Awakening on an actual Game Boy, so I might just leave it in that sleeve. Uh, the cover art on that is really awesome, though. Yeah, some of that stuff just looks nice to have as decorative for your game room, you know? It's really neat. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, I had some, some good pickups, some interesting stuff, I think, this month. So, nice, man. Uh, yeah, that's it for me, though. How about yourself? Well, I mentioned last month that I picked up a few of the Worlds of Power books, and I'm happy to say that I've already completed that set. This is hilarious, man. <laughs> of all the things to be a completionist about. <laughs> uh, it's just an interesting piece of history that obviously I missed out on. And so, you know, I'm just trying to catch up and be that big kid again, you know. So uh, yeah. I had to have them. And uh, yeah, it looks pretty cool on the shelf, but I can't wait to read them. I also picked up a few 2600 titles, complete in box. I found them for like $3 a piece, man. Nice. I got Keystone Capers and Oink, which are both Activision games. I actually do collect the Activision complete in box titles because I love the rainbow artwork on them. If you know Activision games, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And I do collect some of the Atari games, complete in box, the original Atari, simply you know for the artwork. Um, I just love the rainbow colors on the shelf. I also picked up a copy of Amadar, which is not a game that I really collect. It's a Parker Brothers game, but it was complete in box, and it was like three bucks. And I was like, man, I, I got to get that and check it out. And I also got a copy of Omega Race, which is a CBS Electronics game that had a special controller with it. And it's actually a big box. And I've never seen that before. I actually had one of the controllers. I already had the game. But I had never seen that complete box before. And uh, it was just so neat that, you know, for a few bucks, I just had to grab it. For PS4, from Limited Run Games, I uh, got a smorgasbord of games. got Rogue Legacy, Celeste, and then, of course, River City Girls, which you mentioned earlier. I'm continuing to pick up a lot of PS1 games. I got one that I had seen at your place when I was in Austin. finally came in. It was uh, Sayuki Journey West, and so that's an RPG, correct? Yeah, it's like a strategy RPG. Yeah, so I'm in the strategy RPGs, especially on the PS1, and so I picked that one up at a good price off a um, Facebook group that I've been very successful with. Cool. Uh, I got a copy of Wipeout XL, which is, of course, a racing game in the Wipeout series. It's one I wanted to knock off the list, and I was happy to find that. I actually also got a copy of Front Mission 3 from the same Facebook group called uh, PS1 Collectors of America. I've 
had really great deals in that group and uh, met a lot of nice people. I also got Crash Team Racing, uh, which I was missing. Same group, got a copy of Evil Zone and Mega Man X6. And then uh, locally, I picked up a platforming game called Pandemonium 2. And I don't have the first one, but now I... I'm on the lookout for that. Have you ever played any of the Pandemonium games on the PlayStation 1, Sean? Yeah, they're pretty good. They're actually like 2.5D platformers that they just, they almost play like Super Mario games. Yeah. They look totally different, but the feeling of them is very similar to just a, a Mario game. They're, they're really good. Yeah. They had heard of the series before, but, uh, you know, looked at some reviews and decided, you know, to take a chance on this one because it was very cheap. And then my two biggest scores, one came from eBay, and a guy had actually ran this game at a fairly low price, and then he had sent me an offer of about $20 less for this game, and I wasn't able to pull the trigger on it because I've been selling a lot of stuff on eBay lately and, and have been really trying to get rid of stuff I'm not using or stuff that I have picked up at thrift stores for the purposes of selling on eBay, and I've just been too lazy to do a better job of funding my collection instead of uh, you know using personal finances to do that. So he put it up. I got like $20 off of it, and then I was going in to buy it after money hit my PayPal account, and somebody had already gotten it. No. Oh. Three days later, same game popped up again. And so my assumption was that what happened, somebody bid on it or accepted the offer and never paid. Right. And so he put it back up, and uh, I got a really nice copy of Cannon Spike for the Dreamcast, which is a game that I have been looking for for a long time. I've got it for about a hundred dollars less than what it's going for. So uh, nice. <laughs> when you can do that, you got to pull the trigger, you know. Yeah. So everything just kind of fell in line. And then after I made that purchase, our good friend Metal Fro, Josh, got in contact with me to let me know that one of our RF Generation members who lived close to him was selling off a lot of their collection due to some medical issues and that he had a copy of Tron Bond. And so I was able to get that game at a good price. I actually paid him what he wanted for it because, um, I mean, with medical bills and stuff, you really hate to negotiate. He had a good price. He was asking for it. So really happy to have the game, but uh, not going to say the member's name for obvious reasons, but I'm happy to have this game in my collection. It did go to a good home and um, I hope everything goes well for you. You know who you are. That's it, man. Those are my pickups. Cool, man. I'm super jealous of that Tron Bond. <laughs> it's something that I've kind of wanted in my collection forever, even though I don't really collect PS1 anymore. I do have uh, Mega Man Legends 1 and 2, so I feel like I need a Tron Bond to round out the trilogy, as it were. Yeah. But, man, they cost a lot of money. They're very, it's very <laughs> expensive. It kind of always has been. Right so. place at the right time for this, man. Yeah. Yeah. You know, especially with a trusted seller, I'm very happy to have this in my collection. It's very cool. Uh, came with the demo disc as well. Nice. Yeah. Cool. Well, I think we should roll into what are you playing, and I would love for you to go first because I can guarantee that I have a substantial amount more games than you this month. Oh, I can definitely <laughs> concede to that because I've got a big goose egg this month. Oh, no. Okay. Yeah, other than, uh, you know, uh, Bloodstained Curse of the Moon. You know, October's an incredibly busy month for me. We do our movie viewing. And so 
instead of playing games, I'm typically watching a ton of movies. And so, gotcha. you know, I told you I watched like 14 movies this month. So that's where <laughs> that that's where my time goes in the month of October. So, uh, yeah, I'm going to have to take a pass this month and just pass it on over to you. Cool. Well, before I go into these games, I just want to say one thing, and that is last month we talked about music for over an hour and I was kind of nervous and a little skeptical of how that would go over with our general listening audience. But I got to say, we got nothing but good feedback on that. So I just want to thank all the people who kind of joined the discussion about the music. I was talking with Josh about Matthew Sweet on the forum just yesterday. So the discussion is still going from that long music segment we did <laughs> last month. So shout out to the community for that. It validates what we did with that, with that long segment. It's not going to be a regular thing, but we really went out on a limb and it paid off. So that was awesome. But now here, what I was thinking is... For the people who tune into this show and want to hear about video games, you're about to hear about video games because since we last recorded, I have completed 17 video games <laughs> and I'm going to talk about... Can I, can I have you hold on for a second, Sean? Um, do you know about how long this is going to take? I'm just going to go ahead and take a nap and set my <laughs> alarm on my phone for this. Just shout at me loudly and wake me up when you're done. <laughs> Well, I'll go quick. And the games that were shorter will get a shorter mention, let's say that. And the games that warrant a longer review, we'll, we'll give them that. So I'll start off with Freedom Planet because I was talking about playing that last month. I hadn't finished it, but I I finished it. And nice. I don't have anything to add from what I said last month except for that be careful when you pick your difficulty because you can't change it mid-game. And there are, I think, five different difficulty levels. The lowest is, I think, casual, and then there's easy, and then it goes up from there. And I actually did easy, which is not the easiest mode, and there were a few times towards the end of the game where I was like, God, I wish I just did that casual mode because <laughs> it, it gets difficult, even on easy. And now I, I'm very bad at video games, so take that into consideration. But beating that was pretty satisfying, even on on a lower difficulty and you can it's an unlimited continues so if you're willing to bang your head against the wall with a game then just go for it but just keep that in mind that you can't change the difficulty midstream the next game now we're going to get stuck talking about this one it's what remains of edith finch and rich you recommended this to me a couple months ago and mm -hmm. what you piqued my interest with was exploring the house and i think i told you i have a recurring dream of like <laughs> secret compartments and houses and like going into a closet and then there being a door in the closet and you go through that like i don't know why i dream about this a lot so this game was a really crazy like fulfillment of that it's, it's a hard game to talk about without spoiling anything. Yeah. And so what I would recommend is that everybody just play this game and then go listen to the Cartridge Club episode on it, which is really good because that's what I did as soon as I finished it. But it's just a really good game and not, not a huge time investment. You can definitely play it in one sitting. It's just like three or four hours tops and... It's just really astonishingly good, and it was not at all what I expected. I really thought this was going to be like a quote-unquote walking simulator, but there are actually so many different gameplay 
mechanics and elements in this game that it just surprised the hell out of me in such a good way. And it's, it's an amazing, amazing experience. What was the one game that we played during the, um, uh, the PC month that we had uh, about the girl that comes home? Was that Dear Esther? Um, I'm not sure. No, going didn't... home. Going home, right? Oh, you guys played Gone Home? Uh, yeah, yeah, I don't remember because um, I wasn't involved in that. I have played Gone Home and that, yeah, that is kind of a walking simulator. Just pick things up and look at them and then have narration read to you kind of game. And and I, again, I thought that's what, what Remains of Edith Finch would be like and it's not. Similar, but different. Yeah. yeah. Similar on premise, but a bit different. But it just goes so far above and beyond that, that I just don't think it should be classified with games like Gone Home. Yeah. So, uh, the, ne- <laughs> the next game is a game called Don't Call Me Mama, But Yes, I Am Your Mama. <laughs> Have you ever heard of this? No. <laughs> So this is a game, actually, that was made by Kyle Bossman, who is a... I thought it was made by my wife. Because <laughs> <laughs> your kids are always calling you mom and dad all the damn time, and you're like, shut up, I wish I had another name. <laughs> no, it was made by Kyle Bossman of Easy Allies. It's actually a Game Boy game, and there's this thing, I think it's called Game Boy Studio, where you can develop your own Game Boy games, and... Man, he did a really good job. I played through it twice, actually, because there's like six different endings, right? So I actually, the first time I played through it, I got the worst ending in like every aspect. And then the second time I played through, I got a a better ending, let's say. And then I actually watched them on a live stream. He played the game through and got the perfect ending. So I've actually seen like a lot of what the game has to offer. And it's, it's really great. For a guy who does YouTube videos and a podcast that I really like and is part of this like review team, you know, the Easy Allies, who I highly recommend to everybody, it's the old Game Trailers crew that just carried on what they were doing over there at Game Trailers when they shut down and changed the name and went crowdfunded. And they're doing the same awesome work that they've always been doing. So yeah, Bossman made a game and it's and it's awesome. Now what format is this on again? It's Game Boy, so... <laughs> so you have a physical copy of this game? No, you can't. So theoretically, you can make a repro, and I'm sure people have by now. Okay. But I actually downloaded the ROM and played it on my phone. But you could put it on anything that plays Game Boy games. I could have played it on my Vita, my Wii, my... If you have a Game Boy flash drive. You can even play it if you go to the site, the like profile site for the mm-hmm. game. You can play it in the browser. Nice. So definitely worth checking out. It's it's about, you know, it's a half an hour to 45 minutes to get through it. It's just really funny. It's amazing what he did with whatever limited tools he had to make this game as far as this Game Boy Studio program. And I don't know a lot about it, but you could tell a lot of love and work went into this game. It was, it was just really cool. Okay, let me write the name of that down. Is it again? <laughs> it's Don't Call Me Mama, But Yes, I Am Your Mama. Don't Call Me Mama, <laughs> But Yes, I Am Your Mama. Play at work. Okay, yep. got it. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> <laughs> It's not not safe for work. There's some like gross out humor, but nothing um, raunchy or sexual or anything in it. All right, good. Um, okay, so I'll move on. <laughs> we got a lot to get through here. Uh, I played Steambot Chronicles Battle Tournament, which is the PSP spinoff of uh, Steambot Chronicles, also known as Bumpy Trot. 
it was just a really cool game for a handheld because it's basically Steambot Chronicles, but with very little story. It's all side missions and boss battles. So for a handheld, that's actually kind of great. You just do side missions to earn money that you upgrade your mech with. And then you fight boss battles until you get to the final boss. And there is a little bit of a story, but it's not a very story heavy game. So that one was pretty neat. Uh, next, I played Batman Brave and the Bold for the DS. I just wanted something short and easy to play on my 2DS when I bought it. So I chose to play that. I don't know if I would recommend it highly as like a game you must play. It's very similar to the one on the Wii, but I'm pretty sure it's a different game. They were both developed by WayForward, as far as I know. They tend to make good games, so it's cool. If you like 60s-style campy comedy Batman, then definitely play this game. Uh, next, I played Her Story on the PC. I've been wanting to play that, man. It looks so good. Yeah, it's pretty neat. Uh, so in Her Story, the whole game is that you log on to a computer that has this like 90s-esque Windows operating system on it, and you are looking through police interrogation videos. It's one woman being interrogated, like I think it's seven or eight different times, and you are digging up these little clips by searching terms in a search bar. You just search the word murder and, and a bunch of clips show up. But part of the gameplay is that it only shows the first five clips. So you have to narrow down your searches by adding words or using quotes and all this stuff. And the whole point of the game is to kind of piece Boolean together. operators. What's that? Boolean operators. <laughs> oh, God. You're taking me back to my college <laughs> days. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but the whole thing is to piece together this woman's story and try to figure out what exactly happened. And I will say, this may seem like a spoiler, but it's more of a tip and some advice if you want to play this game. I was under the impression that you had to unlock, I can't remember because I played it like a month ago, but there's like over a hundred of these little clips and I was under the impression that you have to find all of them, like you have to 100% the game. And it was really, really excruciating towards the very end when I only had like 12 left to search. Like you start searching every word that comes in, like couch, floor, like, come on, just give me a new one. You know what I mean? Like you're just trying to search anything. But in reality, you don't have to do that. You can actually just kind of end the game when, when you want to. And you'll know what I mean if you play the game. You'll get to a certain point where you can do that. Okay. So, yeah, if you're playing it, just know that you don't necessarily have to go for 100%. But, yeah, I, I recommend that one, Rich. The problem with that for you, I think, is that it doesn't exist physically. I, I believe it's only for PC and mobile at this point. Yeah. I could play it mobile, and uh, I would probably do that, and depending on if my laptop is able to run it or not, that yeah. might be an option. Well, I ran it on my laptop, which is not not a powerhouse at all, so you probably could. Thanks. <laughs> well, I, you know what? I don't know why I even said that. I have no idea what your laptop is, so... <laughs> I'm saying mine's a piece of shit and it ran the game. Does that does that help? Yeah, yeah. Mine's a piece of shit too, but good guess. Uh, nice. So the next game I played, I tried to get into the October spirit, and I played Dead Space 3, 
which was not great in the scope of the Dead Space franchise. Uh, It sucks, because even if you try to say, well, all right, screw it. I know it's not a good Dead Space game. I just want to play a shooty shoot, and that's fine with me. Like, they made it into a bro shooter. I can handle that. But then you play the game, and it's it's a pain in the ass, and it's not that good of a game. It's very annoying. Like, you get bum-rushed by enemies a lot, which is... Just really annoying when when you got five enemies coming at you and you can't run or you can't like move because you're getting crowded all the time. Uh, So I don't regret playing it because I just really wanted to see for myself kind of thing. But it's like I'll definitely never play it again. That's for sure. And also now I have seen for myself why everybody hates it so much. And to tie that into my article of the month, that's what I wrote about. Uh, I wrote about Dead Space 3 and another game that I'm about to talk about. So check out my blog on rfgeneration.com. The next game I played was Kirby's Dream Land 3 for the Super Nintendo. Rich, have you played this game? No, I have not. Own it. have not played it yet. Yeah, so I played it on the Switch on the Super Nintendo online collection of games that they have. I've always wanted to play this game, and I'm a big Kirby fan. I love, uh, you know, Kirby's Adventure on the NES is my favorite NES game. And I thought, wow, a Super Nintendo sequel to that, it must be awesome. But unfortunately, it really wasn't. I didn't really like the game that much at all. The levels seemed very bland. The power-ups were either completely overpowered or completely useless. It's weird to say that a Kirby game isn't balanced because they usually skew towards being easy, which is great for me because I like easy games. But with this particular game, it's like, the power-ups weren't satisfying except for the ones that were just completely overpowered. And there was one combination of power-up with, it has the animal buddies from the second Game Boy game, Mm -hmm. that if you had a certain power-up and a certain animal buddy, you can literally sleigh ride through the level, just mowing down all the enemies. Which, I guess, you know, hey, you can fly through any Kirby level if you want to, because Kirby can fly, but... I don't know. It was weird not to enjoy a game that I almost felt like I was guaranteed to enjoy. You know what I mean? Yeah. And didn't you mention there were some like gatekeeping tactics used in this game? Yeah, that was another thing, too. It was it was really and I don't know because I don't have the instruction manual or any background to what the right way to play the game is. But there are these rooms that you go in that have characters in them. And I think you have to have the right animal companion with you to like activate that character. And then that, that allows you when you get to the end of the level to do something with another character that if you didn't do it, they're just standing there at the end of the level. It's really weird and like complicated for a Kirby game. At my ending, I got the bad ending because I just got to King Dedede and beat him, but he's possessed by something that it's like a big question mark at the end, literally. And it's like, yeah, I don't care. I'm not playing this game again. You know what I mean? So (laughs) I didn't even watch like what is the true ending on YouTube. That's how little I cared about this. Just completely disgusted. I don't know about disgusted. Just like, oh, man, I don't know. I don't know what's going on here. So gotcha. All right, so next, Resident Evil Revelations. This game was freaking awesome. One of the best games I've played in a long time. I can't believe how much I liked it. It's funny because I was in the mood to play something on the 3DS, and I was like, oh, I should play Resident Evil Revelations because it's October and I should play scary games. But then I thought, 
I have Resident Evil Revelations on the Wii U, and I'd rather play the Wii U because I love the Wii U. So I played Resident Evil Revelations on the Wii U. It blew me away. It's such an awesome game. And that's the other part of what I wrote about in my blog was comparing Dead Space 3 to Resident Evil Revelations. It's just the perfect blend of Resident Evil 4 mechanics with a little bit of that survival. Like, it's very action-y, don't get me wrong. But there's a little bit of resource management, a little bit of puzzle solving. And the game is just broken up into little bite-sized chunks because it was originally a 3DS game. So you can play it in like 10-minute sittings. Or you can play a bunch of those little chunks at once and get a couple of chapters done at once. Graphics are awesome. Playing as Jill, her rear end looked amazing in the game. And I... I told Corey to play this game, and he did uh, solely for Jill's ass, and he ended up enjoying the game as much as I did. So Resident Evil Revelations, great game. Uh, Next, 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 next. Another PC game. Isn't this cool? I'm playing games on the PC. Uh, Kevin would be really proud of you. Well, you know what's what's weird is Kevin kept calling himself a greasy bastard face, but I didn't realize what he was actually saying was PC master race. So now I'm like on board with what he's talking about. And I played a game called I Have No Mouth and I Must Scream, which is based on the Harlan Ellison short story about a an evil AI that takes over the world and lets five people survive and he just tortures them for over a hundred years. It's a very bleak short story Mm. and they made a point and click adventure out of it back in the nineties. I want to say Pam did a video on this. If I recall correctly, I think she did. And definitely pushing up roses has a video on it too. Uh, so it's, I, you know what? I don't like point and click adventures anymore. I did when I, was young and I had literally all the time in the world to complete them and figure out the puzzles. With this one, I was like, oh, I'm going to try and like really do this and like get through it without a guide and just like pixel hunt and click on everything. And I was, it took me like two rooms and I was like, screw this, I'm getting walked through. <laughs> Patience of a saint. Yeah. So, being a fan of the short story, I wanted to experience the story of this game. So I, I did play through it with a walkthrough, but it was uh, it was a neat experience. And people who like point and clicks, whether you use a walkthrough or not, I would recommend it. It's a pretty cool game. Nice. Next, another spooky game. I played Spirit Camera on the 3DS. This is a game in the Fatal Frame franchise where you use the 3DS's camera as the camera obscura from Fatal Frame, to be more specific. And I got a shout out Nitro Rad on YouTube because he did an entire series on the entire Fatal Frame series from the first game to the fifth game and included Spirit Camera. And he did not speak favorably about Spirit Camera, but it was again, it was one of those negative YouTube videos that just made me want to play the game because of the thing like him saying like, yeah, it's a goofy concept, but the game's too short. It's a little too easy. And I'm like, you know what? Sign me up. I have a checking all the right boxes, my friend. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) So it was kind of fun. It's like you use the camera to look around your surroundings and there's ghosts and you have to like, lock on to them and you have to stay with the ghosts and keep them in your sight and it fills up this meter and then when they're right about to attack them you have to take a picture it's it was pretty good but 
if you're going to play this game, just keep in mind that you have to play it like it's ideal to play it standing up and you're going to be spinning around in circles. So don't play this game in public and uh, be prepared to be active and standing up and moving around to play it. It's just like a big game of Dizzy Bat. Yeah. With the DS. <laughs> yeah, kind of. <laughs> Uh, oh, I will say though that playing the spirit camera made me want to play a real fatal frame game because I've never played any of them. And I've I, been pushing for this for years. Yeah. For so let's play fatal frame two because I've heard that that one's, uh, the most straightforward and easiest, but we can, we can talk about that. At yeah, some other yeah time. absolutely. I played Hellblade Senua's Sacrifice, which is our game of the month for next month. And I'll, we'll talk about that next month. I played The Third Birthday, which is Parasite Eve 3. It's a PSP game, but I would recommend it least of all on the PSP. Just play it on the Vita or on the on an emulator with a real controller if you can, because the infamous thing about this game is that the camera controls are mapped to the D-pad, and moving Ida around with the stick and then trying to do the camera with the D-pad with the same thumb, I would imagine that would be impossible. And God bless anybody who has ever played this game on a PSP, but uh, I wasn't having any of that. I just played it on the Vita, mapped the D-pad to the right stick, and just played it like a a regular third-person shooter, and it was awesome. I will totally agree with the consensus that they really messed up Ada's character, I'm sorry, I keep saying Aya, I mean Aya Brea. Aya, not Ada. No correction necessary. (laughs) So they're messing up Aya's character by turning her into this like sexy anime chick and like the more damage she takes, her clothes start falling off and being in tatters. And then she makes all these sexual like groans even when you're out of ammo. And through my entire playthrough of this game, I'd be like shooting, shooting, shooting. And then she goes, uh... And it's like, oh, what am I getting hit by? And, it, uh, and it's like, I'm not getting hit. That's the sound she makes when you're out of ammo. And it's it's horrible. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a really good game and worth playing on anything except the PSP. I only got a few more. We're getting there. The Outer Worlds, a game that just came out. Obsidian's Western-style RPG. Of course, many people are comparing it to Fallout, especially Fallout New Vegas, which was made by Obsidian. And y'all will remember I just played Knights of the Old Republic 2, which was made by Obsidian. I am a complete Obsidian fanboy. I think they're one of the best developers in the business. I've been a huge fan of them for a long time. They've made some of my favorite games like Fallout New Vegas, like Alpha Protocol, Knights of the Old Republic 2, Dungeon Siege 3, like so many great games. And The Outer Worlds was just phenomenal. I took the day off when it came out last Friday and I beat it in five days. And it seemed like, wow, that was really quick. But I actually put almost 40 hours into it. It's just because I played it literally for three days straight. And then the next two days I played it all night. It's a first-person shooter RPG, so it it really combines a lot of elements of Fallout and Mass Effect and Borderlands and Bioshock and just throws all the good elements of these games all together. And you have companion characters that you can have a, a party up to a party of three and you can spec out your companions. You can put different armor and stuff on on yourself and them. 
And it's just a super dialogue-heavy RPG with a lot of talking, and you can talk your way into and out of situations. And it's one of those things where you can have lockpicking attributes and hacking attributes and... I won't spoil anything, but it's kind of funny. You can like completely avoid the final boss encounter if your stats are a certain way. So that was really cool. Um, I actually did that my first playthrough because my stats were so high because I did certain things the right way. And I was like, yeah. (laughs) And then uh, I just reverted to a save and then actually fought the final boss just so I could see what it was. (laughs) So... (laughs) Uh, the Outer World. Of course, a lot of people are playing it right now because it just came out. It's cool because I'm playing it because it was on Game Pass, as well as the next game I'm about to talk about was also a brand new game that was on Game Pass. And I don't want to be an advertisement for Microsoft. We're not getting any kickback from them, but... We'll take it. Yeah. We want to send it, <laughs> yeah, but yeah. Yep. Uh, as the Game Buzz guys would say, Game Pass is the best deal in gaming right now. It's just awesome having a subscription to that and getting these games that come out like day and date uh, for quote unquote free. I mean, it's like Netflix. It's a service you're paying for, but they make it valuable with having new releases like that available on the release date. And speaking of which, the next game I played was After Party, which is Night School Studios' follow-up to Oxenfree. Nice. Our listeners know Oxenfree is one of my favorite games of all time. We did a podcast on it. It ended up being my number one game that year when we did our countdown. I adore and love Oxenfree. And After Party, not quite as endearing to me as Oxenfree was, but it was still worth playing through. And I would say anybody who's a fan of the studio and a fan of Oxenfree should... Give it a try with lowered expectations. Much like Oxenfree, it's a walking and talking kind of game. You're just going from place to place, meeting characters and making stuff happen by talking to them. There are a few little mini games in there as well. I played this game on Halloween night in one sitting while I was giving out candy to trick-or-treaters. And the whole plot of the game is that there are two characters who die and go to hell. So you're walking around talking to demons and talking to Satan. And it was a perfect game to play through on Halloween night. So I did enjoy my time with it, even though it was nowhere nearly as good as Oxenfree. I definitely recommend it. Uh, Next, my third and final PC game that I played this month, but this one is available on all kinds of different things, including the Vita and the Switch. It's Valhalla, a cyberpunk bartending adventure. So this game uh, made me realize that I don't really think I like visual novels. And we talked about the visual novel genre a couple months ago when we were talking about Danganronpa. And just, I really have to like segment my reading into, I'm reading a book. I, I don't think I want to read a video game and I really need to like come to terms with this. I don't mind a a ton of text and a ton of dialogue in an RPG or even in like Danganronpa is like kind of pushing my limits of how much I want to read. But when you play a game that is just 100% reading, it was, I'm not going to say hard to get through, but it was not the most enjoyable experience for me. However, this game had amazing music, amazing graphics. It's like pixel style graphics. And it did, for what it's worth, have a great story and great characters. I just was like, man, like I would read an actual novel. I would get more enjoyment out of that than doing this. So, 
Yeah, I found the same thing happen to me when I uh, started Steins Gate. I've heard so many good things about it, but I found myself really having a tough time with it, you know? Yeah. Like all the reading and stuff, there's just not enough interaction for me, but I know the story there is something that I would really like and really appreciate, but it's just hard to do that on a screen. Yeah, exactly. For me, I think that's just a personal choice. A lot of people love this game and they love that Steinsgate game and Mm -hmm. all kinds of other visual novels. It's just I'm starting to come to terms with the fact that I think this is a genre that's just not for me. Uh, But it's a cool game if you like that kind of thing. And that brings us to our last game that I played. It's called Guru Min, A Monstrous Adventure which was originally on the PSP, but it's now available on Steam. And I actually played the 3DS version. It's a really cute action RPG. You play as a young girl with a drill, (laughs) almost like Mr. Driller. It's like Zelda with RPG elements. You upgrade your weapons, you upgrade your character, you get accessories that you have to wear, like... In certain dungeons, there will be like poisonous flowers that shoot gas at you. So you have to buy a gas mask. And then there's uh, levels with a lot of water. So you got to buy goggles so you don't take water damage. And the whole time you're leveling yourself up, you're leveling the drill up. The drill has different elements that can help solve certain puzzles. Uh, It was, in general, a great game. Very pleasant. And I played it on the easiest difficulty. And it was a very... Not very easy, but it was easy enough where I just had a very good time with it and didn't get stuck or hung up on anything. I would recommend it for anybody who just wants something to breeze through, a nice maybe palate cleanse after you played something crazy or hard or, you know, you just want to relax with something that has more pleasant pastel colors and a cute story. And it was good. I liked it a lot. So that's the last game I finished. And... I'm actually currently playing a bunch of other stuff, but I'll save it for next month when I finish them. I I think I'm going to not talk about things that I'm midstream on because that game Yonder that I was playing last month, I actually stopped playing it. So I don't know. I'm going to have to think about this. Like I've talked enough about stuff that I'm playing. I'm wondering if I should just talk about things that I finished or if it's worth talking about things that I didn't finish and why. Like Yonder... I couldn't find enough quests to finish and I had a bunch of open quests that I didn't know what to do and playing the outer worlds really quenched that craving to just have a quest log with 10 quests open and I could take my pick and I know exactly what to do for all 10 of them and I'm bouncing around between locations doing three of them at a time and it's like there's never a dull moment there's always you know you're always multitasking with three different things for 10 different quests and that really scratched that itch for me. So I'm not going to go back to yonder, unfortunately. But but yeah, I think October, this has been the month this year that I played the most games. And earlier in the year, there were a couple months where I played tons of games. So I'm doing pretty good. It's kind of cool. There's a, on rfgeneration.com, we have beaten in 2019. We have a thread every year where you just list the games that you've beaten. And right on the first page in a row, it's Dougley007, me, and Disposed Hero. And between us, there's probably about 500 games beaten. It's astonishing. I love it. Oh, 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 yeah. <laughs> Wake up. Are, are you done? <laughs> yeah, I'm done. <laughs> oh, man. 
Oh, it's good timing. <laughs> All right. <laughs> But not the size of a banzai Kick it like Muay Thai Blow like sci-fi In high def I'm righteous And still bust a nut up on a bitch chest The verbal folklore been explored And employed by none other than them foes with the gold And them bankrolls explode And your bitch and my target when I shoot my loud Bullseye, my eyes tight-eyed Fried off the same shit that rock stars died From smoke something with your man, bitch Like white left used to sell the cannabis Manuscript sick shit, prescription addiction Slipping out a roll off the counter in my kitchen Tripping off the shit that had Brian Wilson flipping Experiment so much, it's a miracle I'm living And I'ma die like a rock star Die like a rock star I'ma die like a rock star Die like a rock star I'ma die like a rock star Some drugged up porn hoes all around me like Terry Diva, Linda Wong, all in hell, having orgies with our horns grow along. Cause bitch, I'm Frankie Lyman. He fled your hyped up in a jacuzzi doing that jumbalushi with Britney Murphy. We blowing her sheet. I'ma die like a rock star. All right, so before we get into our main discussion, as usual, we start off with a question of the month that is somehow related to the game, and this month, I actually came up with it, which is rare, Rich, because you're usually the creative one with the questions, and you always come up with good ones, but... Yeah, you're good here. Thank I, you. I came up with something really poor, I Thank remember. Thank you. Um, I what it was. Yeah, so our question is... If you were a real-life vampire hunter, what would your special weapon be and why? Now, what's cool about this is we got 100% joke answers on Twitter, (laughs) which doesn't usually happen. Thanks, guys. No, it was good. It's good. Um, Actually, Adam Bickman, he gave a real answer, but it is kind of a joke in the reference he's making. He says, holy water has to be it so you can stun lock him. Of course, you can't get there without an oak stake. And uh, I believe he's referring to Castlevania 2 there, Rich? Well, the first Castlevania is definitely Holy Water Stunlock okay. for Castlevania. Yeah, um, Castlevania 2, yeah, it does have the stakes in it. And uh, kind of the cheat for that is to use the laurels, which make you invincible. Uh-huh. Very good. Kelsey, Crabmaster, he will use the power of love. And uh, he provided an animated gif of the Care Bears puffing out their chests and doing the Care Bear stare. Is that what that was called? (laughs) (laughs) Don't need money, don't need fame, don't need no credit cards to ride that train. Yep. Buried on Mars, Kevin said, a calculus textbook. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Took that in high school. I hated that class. Awful. 
I say that I'm bad at math, but I'm actually really bad at computation. It's it's embarrassing. I have to use a calculator for everything, even the most basic computations, and it's very embarrassing. Yeah, shouldn't be, man. I posted on Facebook the other day. I said, I finally found out what the use for math is after all these years. Yeah, it's helping your kids with their <laughs> math homework. That's all it's good for. There you go. <laughs> yeah. Ratios are killing me right now. Oh, boy. Another bad flashback. <laughs> uh, so actually, Adam came back with another, and this this is great. He said, I also might use a guitar, but I'd have to wait until after work on Friday. Could take a couple of days. It would be a whole vampire weekend. <laughs> <laughs> Which is so great. Uh, I really love that. Uh, we have a couple more here. Game Boy Guru Josh Metal Fro, he said a Katrina and the Waves album because I'd be walking on sunshine and the Vamps would stand no chance against me. I love that song, but I I think <laughs> what he's saying is that the sunshine, you know, vampires are weak to sunlight. I hope that's the reference he's making because mm. if he's insinuating that that's a bad song, then there's going to be trouble. I helped make a zombie movie in college, and we actually used Walking on Sunshine. Nice. Part of it. <laughs> <laughs> and then we have Duke Togo at Collector Cast. You know, Rich, you and I, we, we have some high-value items in our collection, but we don't go flaunting them on Twitter. Like, right. So We're not asses. He like posts people. a full boxed copy of Silent Service for the NES, and he says no explanation required. Now, I'm not a huge NES collector, but if I could get my hands on a even a loose copy of Silent Service, let alone a box copy, it would be like a dream come true. And this is one of those games that's like, it's so rare that there's not even a lot of like data on how much it should cost. Like you don't yeah. know what kind of amount you're going to pay if you even find a copy in the wild. So yeah, it's a spotted owl. Yeah, man. So yeah, good on you, Chris, for having a copy of that game. Why don't you just show it off? Yeah jerk <laughs> so as usual i asked my wife this question and she said she would use a crossbow because uh there's a couple characters in the show the vampire diaries that use a crossbow nice rich as for me i have no freaking idea <laughs> really i was gonna go with you know what weapon i really like because when I conceived of this question, I was thinking of special weapons from the Castlevania franchise in the series. I really like that weapon from Symphony of the Night that's, I can't remember if it's a book or like a crucifix that just goes all around your character. Mm, yeah, that's right. It is some sort of book. Yeah, yeah I remember that. It's both a shield and an offensive move as it moves around and it makes that cool like clickety clackety noise as it yeah, goes yeah. around your body. So I'm sorry to be so plain and like conventional with my answer, but I want one of those. No, it's a fairly deep pull. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Uh, what about yourself? Well, you know, when I was a kid, my dad, he worked in a mill. You know, it was a textile mill. And so they would have these like looms that would separate the threads, you know, and the cotton as it would pull it. And it had these little like metal teeth on it. I was obsessed with ninjas as a kid. So... 
my dad actually took a bunch of those teeth and put like a bolt through them and made me these throwing stars. <laughs> and they were like really dangerous. Like I should never have had those as a kid. And I only had them for like a week because I would like throw them into trees and stuff like that. But I was very good with them. And I always picked up throwing stars whenever I went to the flea market. Which drove my parents mad. And they ended up on the top of the refrigerator with my Def Leppard albums because my mom went through this whole devil's music church thing. <laughs> took all my albums from me, but that's besides the point. But for me, I would have um, garlic throwing stars because I think I'd be really handy with those. That's you know, cool. After all my years of practice as a child. Now, how would you prepare these? Would you saute them or just like rub a crushed clove of garlic onto them? Like, yeah, I was that thinking work? that. Yeah, that's, that's what I was thinking is like maybe like poison the tips with garlic okay. or just shave them out of garlic. <laughs> They'd be really tiny throwing stars, though. <laughs> Each clove could be like one of the blades. That would be awesome. And if it could be like that glaive and crawl, that would be even better. Well, that's huge. <laughs> You would need a lot of garlic for that. <laughs> hey, man, you said anything. Yeah. So. No, I like it. That's that's cool. Nice. All right, well, let's get into some game talk. Got here on my outline, we played Bloodstained, Curse of the Underwear. Oh, Sean, playing another little trick on me. I got you. <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> We played Bloodstained Curse of the Moon, which um, I actually played on PS4. How about you, Sean? I played on Xbox One because I believe, it, uh, I can't remember if it was games with gold or Game Pass, mm -hmm. but I got it for free somewhere along the line and it's been sitting there waiting for me. I have a limited runs copy, which uh, if you heard earlier, my playing card was inside of my <laughs> yeah. PS4 this weekend. So yeah, thanks for that, kid. But uh, this month we were joined by Crabmaster2000, Disposed Hero, Mr. Stubbs, Metal Fro, Dougley007, Engineer Mike. Uh, we had a newcomer this month, Zoido, who I hope will play some more games with us in the oncoming months. Wild Bill 52 played with us this month. Duke Togo, and then uh, Pam chimed in. She had played it recently, so she wasn't going to play the game again, but did offer her commentary on the game a few times throughout the thread. So we really, really appreciate that. So Bloodstained: Curse of the Moon. This is a 2018 action platformer developed and published by Inti Creates. It was conceived to fulfill a promise of a retro-style accompaniment for a stretch goal on Kickstarter. It's an 8-bit game uh, similar to the early Castlevania games on the NES and especially takes a lot from Castlevania 3 Dracula's Curse. This is a prelude to the game that was kickstarted, Bloodstained Ritual of the Night, which is now out on several platforms. And I also have a copy of that. So, can't wait to play that, as I know a lot of our listeners have already done this October. The story follows Zangetsu, a swordman searching for revenge upon the demons who magically cursed him. Along the way, you run into other vampire hunters who are willing to help you. And that's basically it. That's the story. It's nothing deep. You're not rescuing anyone, and there's really not a lot of backstory at all for this game, is there, Sean? No, not really, which makes for an easy uh, segment of the podcast. Sometimes it can be really hard to explain, but sometimes it's good when it's like, you're just trying to get revenge on demons. Go for it. <laughs> yeah, revenge on demons. What's the plot? Revenge. 
Yeah, exactly. So in the similar way, though, it really adheres to that sort of 8-bit era, right? Where there weren't a lot of storylines. And so I can appreciate it in that sense. And as far as it being a prelude, you know, I'm curious to see how that works out in the um, full-length game. So, I mean, that's pretty much it for story. I don't really know where we can go from there as far as talking about it. So let's go ahead and get into gameplay if that's okay. As I mentioned before, this is a Castlevania-esque platformer where you recruit different players such as you did in Castlevania 3. And you can actually switch characters on the fly in this game. And I don't know about you, Sean, but I really like the way they have this set up where you can just use your shoulder buttons to do that. Yeah, it's super handy, and when you're in the middle of action or just trying to explore certain rooms uh, because only certain characters can access certain spaces or fit through certain spaces, very convenient to just click on that shoulder button to get to the next character. Yeah, and I used it in some other instances, too, that I'll talk about here in a little while when we get to a different part of the gameplay. Or, as we should mention, and similar to... I'm just going to keep repeating this, similar to Castlevania 3, the characters have different abilities, right? And so I wanted to talk about those characters for a minute. You've got four. Uh, You've got the main character, Zangetsu, who has a sword, Miriam, who has a whip, and also has a slide technique, which is um, just kind of comes in handy where you can just slide under certain areas to get to items or maybe different areas of a level. You also have Alfred, who's the magician, and Gable, who is a vampire who can actually turn into a bat and fly across different areas or fit into certain areas to explore more of these castles. So I just want to kind of get your thoughts on the characters. What did you think, Sean? Did you like this mixture of characters or were there maybe one or two characters that fell short? Well, I definitely leaned on Zengetsu and Miriam as opposed to the other two, Alfred and Gable. I think Miriam is the best to play with in the game. She has the most range, a little bit of a higher jump, the most speed. She has very few drawbacks. Maybe uh, the wind-up animation of her whip leaves her vulnerable for a couple split seconds, but I use Miriam a lot. And I did not use Alfred too much, yeah. nor Gable too much. And even um, with Sengetsu, his main attack is a, a dagger. His default attack is like a sword, I guess you could say. Yeah. And uh, it didn't have too much range, but it was fast, right? So yeah. if you can get up close and personal, he's your man. But if you need a little more distance, you're going to want to use Miriam. And if you're more into the magic stuff, you're going to go with Alfred or or Gable. And plus with Miriam with the whip, it definitely feels most like Castlevania when you're playing as her. Yeah, I agree with that. Although, you know, Zangetsu with the sword has that kind of Symphony of the Night feel, you know, if that's something you're used to. But uh, I agree, like with this 8-bit era, I think Miriam with the whip, it just feels right. You know, like you, she's probably the character that I use the most. However, second to her, I probably use Gable more than any other character. I got used to him. He has this attack where he throws three bats up at an angle. Yeah. And so when you have stuff that's like coming above you or when you have like lanterns and things like that that are dropping the fireballs, you can jump up and then throw it and it hits stuff. 
But what I like about him is he's really powerful because if you get up close to something, if you throw those bats, that's like three hits. Yeah. Unlike the whip, which is just one hit, and it's kind of a slower technique and a slower motion. But his detriment is that it's hard to attack things that are crawling across the ground, like you know some of the rats or things like that. But I also found him very helpful in things like wolves that like jump over you. You can hit them with those bats as they're jumping over you. So... Once I learned to use him, uh, he was one of my go-to characters. But um, with Alfred the Magician, his attack is basically a <laughs> like a staff, and it does not have a long range. It's really terrible. So he's really in there for magic. You know, when you're fighting some of the bigger sprite enemies that take several hits, he's got this um, ice spell that's really awesome that you can hit him with. And then you hit him with that spell, and then you just go up and tap him with your rod or switch characters and hit him with a weapon, and they just shatter. So he's very powerful, but at the same time, not someone that you're going to want to use throughout the game as far as platforming. And his jump is a little shorter than most, too, right? Okay. I didn't remember that specifically, but yeah, you're right. So, yeah, um, it's a nice mixture of characters, and, uh, you know, that's something that the game relies on very heavily, and, uh, you know, I think it pulls off fairly well, but like you said, I think you tend to gravitate toward one of the characters more than the others, and, you know, for that reason, it is a bit of a shame. I would have probably liked to use some of the other characters a little more, maybe a little a little more balanced in, in that regard. Now, I wonder, isn't Miriam the main character of the main game? I think so. Yeah, so I wonder if they, quote-unquote, nerfed her or made her a little bit more powerful so that you would be more attracted to her attributes, gameplay-wise, to to kind of endear you to her as her being the main character of the main game. And from what I've seen of the main gameplay, though, she doesn't use a whip. Is that correct? Oh, that I don't know. Okay. I'm not 100% on that, but I don't think she does. I think it's more of a sword. But I do know, from what I understand, that Zangetsu is in uh, Ritual of the Night. Okay. And so he does appear as a, obviously, a very angry human, <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah. seeking revenge. So, uh, you know, I think this game kind of sets it up nicely as far as uh, being a prelude in that regard, even though, oddly, there's not a lot of story, but then sets forth, you know, what's going on in this uh, this game with a larger scope, which is kind of neat. So... I'm definitely interested to see how that goes. And something we mentioned earlier and I wanted to talk about was that as you gain these characters, we should say that you don't get them all from the beginning. You know, you start out with Zengetsu, and for the first three stages, after you clear those stages, you get a different character in the same order that we mentioned before. You get Miriam first, Alfred, and then Gable. Like we said, Miriam has the slide. Alfred has the ability to freeze things, which you can use enemies or like candles and stuff as platforms. And Gable has the ability to fly. So it does give you access to multiple paths in the game. Now, Sean, um, this is a game that you can play through multiple times and then you can go back to the initial boards and you can find paths that you could not get to with uh, Zangetsu earlier. Did you play this game multiple times and uh, what did you think about the multiple paths? I intended to play it multiple times, but I actually didn't, unfortunately. I just played through the one time. I didn't even realize until very recently that you can actually kill the... Yes. <laughs> the, uh, I knew that you could pass them by and not recruit them at all. I did not right. realize you could kill them until the past couple of days of researching. So that's kind of crazy. 
<laughs> yeah, I had um, seen a message from uh, Pam about that on our threads. And uh, I was like, oh, well, that's neat. And so, yeah, I did some research on that, too. I actually did play through the game a second time. What we should mention, there's different modes. You start out on normal mode, and the next one that you can unlock is nightmare mode. If you beat it on normal mode, you automatically unlock nightmare mode. And with that, you start the second game on nightmare mode with the three characters you pick up, Sans, Zangetsu. And so there are places that you had passed in your original run-through that now you can access and uh, you know go to different parts of the game. And so I think it does give it a bit of replayability in that regard and opens up some new areas for you to explore. I don't know if it is as concrete as, say, something like Castlevania 3, where if you go a certain way, you know, you can recruit certain characters. You can actually skip those characters and skip recruiting them and go various different paths. And also with um, Bloodlines, the Genesis Castlevania, there are multiple paths that you can access depending on which character you choose. I don't know, it, it seems like these branching paths that are in this game maybe give you a bit of a shortcut to the end of the level, but don't really give you access to anything that's that astounding. I didn't see any additional enemies or anything like that, though my understanding is there is an additional boss in this game. I, you know, I, I didn't get to see them. And uh, up to this call, as I mentioned, my intention was to get through nightmare mode, but I had those problems with my PS4. But I did get to stage eight on my second nightmare run through. So okay. I guess for me, like with the multiple paths and in terms of replayability, I don't really see them as that substantial. Does that make sense? Yeah, and I think that might have lent to why I was not like super tempted to go for another run through because I felt like my playthrough of the game was a a mixture because we should mention they have these little skeletons that kind of point in certain directions and yes. it, it really will pique your interest like how do I go that way like at, yeah there's a lot of situations where you're like at first you don't realize how to get to the direction he's pointing and that makes it very intriguing but in my playthrough, it was like a mixture of succeeding at getting through those routes and then not succeeding, like going through just the standard route. Like you, I would never say at any time that I was like, oh my goodness, what a great reward for figuring out this special way to go. You know what I mean? There was really yeah. not, a, not any of that, really. So I think if you wanted to experience like different parts of the levels, it would be good for the multiple playthroughs. But yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it's funny. I played through the game the first time and um, I didn't really have that desire to go back and play it again. You know, and I know some of the other people that played it on our thread were excited to go back through and, you know, play it again because it is a quick game and uh, it's not an extremely difficult game. You can change the difficulty. You can do it on, let's see, there's veteran and casual, right? Yeah. And so casual, pretty easy uh, is what I played it on the first time yeah. and um, got through it fairly easily, though I will say, and I know we'll talk about this later, that final boss battle is pretty rough till you can figure it out. There wasn't a lot that piqued my interest enough to go back to this game. And I basically, the week before we recorded, 
I had to kind of force myself to go through the nightmare mode because I felt like, you know, I needed that information to be able to talk about this game. At least give it that much to try it out. But uh, I know people may disagree with me about this, but I, I do feel like this game doesn't do a good job of setting up that replayability. Okay. Well, I'm going to counter you with a tweet thread from Steven. Are you ready? Is this Sure. I think this is a yeah. good time for this. So he he beat the game the first time he tweeted, "Awesome throwback to the 8-bit Castlevania titles with a ton of influence from Castlevania 3 in particular. A nice mm-hmm. prequel to Ritual of the Night and highly recommended for Castlevania fans. Just beat it for the RFG Playcast." So I saw that and I was like, cool, I feel exactly the same way. I think most people will. Cool, he beat the game. So then he he tacks on another tweet later that day and says, went back and beat the game on Nightmare Mode, which has a completely different final stage and boss fight. If you enjoyed the first run of the game, it's well worth going back and giving this mode a shot. So I was like, okay, that's cool. Later, <laughs> the well, you know, it's day. funny. I stopped right at stage eight. I made it up to that. Oh, so, yeah, I haven't so experienced that yet. Yeah. So keep going, I would say. And then the next day, he tweets again, just finish a Zangetsu only run and sacrifice the other characters. This game is much more difficult this way, but it does give Zangetsu some new powers that are fun to use. It also unlocks ultimate mode, which I might go back and do later. Mm-hmm. So, Disposed Hero, Steven, friend of the show, former co-host of the show, he beat the game at least three times, and uh, he was getting a lot of fulfillment, and he found that very rewarding. If there was anybody who I would think would go ahead and just beat the hell out of this game every which way, it would be him, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> totally agree. We're definitely going to hear from Steven again in the show. I did pull a quote from him for our final thoughts. Good, good. And so that will be around at the end of our show. Uh, but in terms of replayability, I did pull a quote from Pam from the forums. And she said, I had no idea how much replayability there was in this game when I first played it. I went through, picked up each companion, beat each level. Killing the companions rather than talking to them never would have occurred to me if I didn't read about it. Yeah. Which is a nice little twist that they put into the game. As we mentioned before, you start out on normal. You go to nightmare mode when you finish the game. This is by allowing all three characters to help you out. Then you can unlock ultimate mode by killing the other three characters and finishing with Zengetsu only, which Steven mentioned, and that also unlocks a boss rush mode yes. as well, which is a part of this game. Yep. I feel like there was a lot of thought put into this game. I can't knock it for that. As Steven mentioned, the cool thing about the Zengetsu only run is that with each of those possible companions that you kill, you get a special ability. That's something that um, I think I might have to try out. But yeah, um, for me, I don't know. I, I still fall on the line for some reason that it just didn't appeal to me enough to want to replay it. Yep, same here. All right, so one thing that we should talk about in terms of gameplay is we mentioned that the characters have different abilities, but they also have different life bars. Alfred the Magician has the shortest life bar, and I want to say maybe Miriam has the longest. And so they vary in certain ways, and we mentioned before you can use your shoulder buttons to change between characters. But if you lose a character, the game has really nice checkpointing, I think, uh, when you die. And when you lose a character, you have to keep playing with those 
remaining characters, right? Yeah. So one thing to do is if you're getting low on health, especially in a boss fight, is to switch over to another character and yes. uh, you know try to finish it that way. Because if you die with a character, another character doesn't immediately pop in, right? Yeah, especially in a boss battle, you just you'd get kicked out of it. We mentioned before there's the two difficulty levels. There's veteran and casual. And I think the biggest difference in those is with casual, you get unlimited lives, yeah. uh, which I prefer. And then with veteran, you just get so many lives during the game. And I think that you can earn extra lives throughout. So, yeah, you have to be very careful on that. And I think it's a, a very good way to kind of balance the game out for people who want to play a tougher version of the game. And, um, you know, as far as options are concerned, and this is another throwback to the Castlevania series, is that you can choose to have on or not have on knockback in the game. I don't know if you knew this or not. Oh, yeah. No, I knew it, and it's <laughs> awesome. I played, of course, as you can guess, I played on casual with no knockback. Yeah. And uh, for me, uh, who doesn't like hard games or frustrating games, it made it an enjoyable experience. Mm -hmm. And I just want to tack on something as far as when a character dies and you're in a boss battle. One thing that is slightly annoying if you're not quick enough to switch to another character before you die and continue the boss fight is when you go back to that checkpoint, you have to face the choice of do you want to try and fight this boss with your other three characters or yeah. are you going to suicide them? Smell it in, yeah. Four, <laughs> all four back so you can go at it again with all four. So a lot of times... I go to a boss battle, one character would die, and then when I went to the checkpoint, I'd have to suicide the other three and start off fresh. So, mm -hmm. uh, just a, one of the very few minor, minor, minor annoyances in the game. But yeah, that's one thing that you have to consider. Yeah, and we should say when you get to the next stage, all health is replenished. So, that's kind of a nice little feature as well. I did like yeah. that. All right. Well, let's talk a little bit about the um, the sub weapons in the game. Are there some that particularly stood out to you that you liked for the characters? What I did like about this game is it wasn't your what I would say typical Castlevania where you have like maybe four or five sub weapons that you can cycle through, but each character had their own sub weapons and a variety yeah. of those. And those candles that were marked in purple were the actual candles that would drop the sub-weapon. So um, if you wanted a sub-weapon for Miriam, you had to switch to her and then hit the candle, and it would drop one of her sub-weapons. You know, that was the same for every character, except for Gable the Vampire. He had no additional sub-weapons in the game, and if you hit those candles, it would basically just drop potions, which for most Castlevania games were like hearts, so that, you know, if you use sub-weapons, it uses up hearts. In this game, potions are what track how many sub-weapons that you can use. Yes. I thought the sub-weapons were pretty awesome in this game. And before I say anything, I just want to say I am on curseofthemoon.com, the official site. Have you been on this, Rich? No, I have not. Dude, for you and all our listeners who are into this game, go to curseofthemoon.com it's laid out like an issue of Nintendo Power. It looks amazing. And it has, like I'm on the character page right now, it's got all the all the names of the sub-weapons, all the character abilities. It's got screenshots. It's really cool looking. So nice. They definitely did a good job here. And it's quite handy for this podcast because now I can see the names of everything. <laughs> um, 
But I actually, as far as the sub weapons in the game, I uh, going back to Miriam. I really like the sickle because it's like the boomerang from Castlevania, mm-hmm. and I like the axe because it's actually, as far as I know, it's unlike anything in Castlevania, or at least it's not like a common thing in Castlevania. She pulls out this axe that's like bigger than her sprite, <laughs> and it takes a really long wind up, so you have to use it wisely. But it does massive damage. Yeah, and it's not your typical axe in Castlevania where you throw it and it arches. It's, oh yeah, good. It's point. just like a melee weapon. No, it's like a huge battle axe that you hold. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> very destructive, good, too. Yep. Massive power. That that was really cool. As far as the other ones, you know, I used Alfred so sparingly that I didn't even I didn't even use that ice thing with him a lot. I used the burning sphere, which actually looks you know what it looks like, Rich? Tell me what that burning sphere reminds you of. The like look of it. The only thing I can think of, there's a oh, what's the game? It's a Nintendo game where, like a ninja game, where you've got that fireball. I can't remember the name oh, of the game okay. right now. I was actually thinking of something from the real world from my childhood. Uh, Wrath of the Black Manta. Yeah, that's okay, what it good. is. There's no a fire shield in that. Necessary. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, you know what it reminds me of? Caps from a cap gun. The oh, little yeah. rings that you put in the cap gun. Yeah. That's so funny that you say that. We were at the Elvis Costello concert last night, and they had these lights that were shaped like those cap gun things. And I turned to my wife and I said, that looks like those things you put inside a cap gun. You remember those? <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> but that power up is basically, a sh- it's almost like that book thing from uh, symphony of the night. I was talking about in the question of the month segment where it's both defensive and offensive. You can just turn it on and it's a shield and you can like walk into enemies with it. Mm-hmm. So yeah, those are, are just kind of a few of my favorites. What about you, Rich? Uh, just wanted to point out to start with, you know, Alfred has you've got the uh, the fire shield that you were mentioning. You also have this green scroll that like lets you duplicate yourself, which is terrible. I never use that. I always tried to avoid it. And you've had you have the ice weapon, and then there's also a special weapon. Did you get that one? Like the lightning ball. If you find the like the green lantern and you hit it, it drops that, and, and it's like specific to that character only. Yeah, I don't remember getting it in my playthrough, and it's known as the Voltaic Ray, for anybody who was wondering. <laughs> okay, okay. That one's pretty cool. It's like, a, it's like a lightning ball, like a heat seeker, and it works really well against the bosses, so that was awesome. Cool. With Miriam, my favorite was the uh, the triple daggers that you'd throw and they would go up because I would always find these levels where you always have these enemies that are crawling across the ceiling or whatever. Now, it's not going to hit anything in front of you or anything below you, but it's really nice. I typically kept those just to take care of, you know, like bats or anything like that. Or in levels where you had to platform and you had to go uh, vertical, you know, you could take out enemies above you. So uh, yeah. that was probably my favorite weapon by her. Um, Zangetsu... You know what? I didn't use him enough to even use any sub weapons, so I don't even remember which he had. Can you pull those up for us? Yeah, he so he has something that's called the ball and chain, which is basically a whip that shoots upward and in front of him at about yeah, a forty-five yeah, degree yeah, angle. Yeah. Uh, he has something called a magic charm thrown diagonally and downward, and upon contact generates a magic sphere which hits repeatedly, kind of like holy water from yep. from Castlevania. His last one is Demon Essence. Zangetsu uses a Demon's Essence to increase his main weapon's attack power for a short time. So Hmm. it's basically just an attack buff. I didn't know that until 
today when I was doing research <laughs> that that's what that was. I really had no idea when I was playing as Zengetsu and using that power up, like, what the hell is this doing, you know? <laughs> so that's what it is. It's an attack buff. Very nice, man. that's about it for gameplay we'll go ahead and start talking about environments and graphics in this game and i think possibly some of uh, the gameplay elements may kind of trickle down into this as we discuss it as we mentioned before this game is graphically in the 8-bit style like the earlier nes games it is castlevania-esque and you know in more ways than one as far as the environments are concerned i think the game's kind of neat and that you start outside like you do in um, many of the Castlevania games before entering the castle. And then what I found particularly neat is that first level, I don't know if you picked up on this or not, but it's very much like the first Castlevania game when you go in and there's these zombies running at you. It really harkens back to that almost so much that I was waiting for a bat boss near the yeah. end of it. But even like some of the stairs and platforms are exactly the same and uh, almost a direct copy of that, which I saw this completely throughout the game with the enemy sprites, you know? Yeah, and I think from a technological standpoint, they do a good mixture of things that you couldn't do on an NES because of the processing power, but things that fit kind of the NES's style in a sense that like the player's character sprites especially look like something directly from an NES game. Yeah. Uh, but then they kind of amp it up with having the game be widescreen and having a, a bigger color palette than, than the NES. But... 
sometimes you can play these games that are like quote unquote pixel art that couldn't have been replicated on a Super Nintendo or an NES. And it's blatantly obvious. Whereas with this game, I feel like, no, it couldn't have been an NES game, literally, but they did such a good job of replicating the feel with their sprite art that it doesn't hit that uncanny valley of not really having its own place in time. Do you get what I'm saying? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so that's like my take on the graphics in general, but there were a lot of things like specifically that I was really into, especially some of the environments with the, the boss battles and each level has a lot of variation in the backdrop. Like you said, you start outside, you go into a castle, just like in Castlevania. Then you're in this dungeon with a lot of sand and, uh, there are many more. There's like a pirate ship esque area yeah it has the rain that pushes you around yeah 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 so they they really varied it a lot and i i do appreciate that there's even a clock tower so yeah there is (laughs) (laughs) with medusa heads or flying eyeballs is these are you know i think uh (laughs) as far as the enemy sprites are concerned they borrow a ton the wolves you know act the same they have that jumping mechanic they have the uh the skull columns mentioned the medusa heads you know the Mm -hmm. bats the armored knights you know that throw the axes the zombies it's definitely purposeful in keeping the um enemy sprites different but you know it really harkens back to those earlier games it's it's really really obvious and I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of on the fence about this as, as far as do I like it or do I feel like they do a little too much of it? And I think I may be in the camp of they do a little too much. I don't know. How do you feel about that? Yeah, I guess it's a it's a hard judgment call to make because they're nakedly apparent and obvious and honest about what they're doing here, you know, sure. and it's yeah. freaking Koji Garashi, you know, it's a, it's a Koji Garashi project. I know that this wasn't his development team making this game, but yeah. they're tied in with, with this whole project. I was thinking about this and it's kind of like when one band member goes and starts another band and it sounds a lot like the first band, it's like, well, what else would it be like? You know what I mean? Like I'm with you in that maybe they could have created a few more enemy types they they really did lean heavily on not just the well they leaned very heavily on the archetypes as far as the movement like you said at first medusa heads and then you had to like kind of correct yourself and that it was eyeballs and that they had all the mechanics of those enemies just with a different coat of paint and i think they could have been more creative with that just making something different as far as what the enemies do, their emotions and their attack patterns and stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, we often call these games love letters. This is a love letter to this series of this game. Yeah. Uh, this is like more of a 1-900 phone call than a love letter <laughs> <laughs> to the games. <laughs> Yeah, so, uh, yeah, but I I agree with you. There's the same sense of, okay, well, I mean, you're working with the guy that did this series. So, I mean, of course, that's what the fans want, too, for the most part. I mean, I'm probably in the minority here when it comes to this. But, uh, yeah, that's just my feelings and how I felt about it. But one thing that I did really, really love about this game 
were the bosses. And i um, curious to hear your thoughts on these bosses. Do you have any favorites or, uh, you know, kind of what's your general take? Yeah, I love the boss battles in this game. And far, far, far and away, my favorite boss battle was Valifor. He's the big skeleton in the gold vault. Ah, yeah, yeah, that's cool. I call him a skeleton. It looks like he's a... Uh, Mad Hatter or something yeah. like that. Yeah, Prospector. <laughs> it says he's a demon who collects human greed and manifests it as glittering treasure. <laughs> so <laughs> that's pretty awesome. And his... His weak point is his head, which is too high to jump to, but he pushes these huge stacks of gold across the screen and you have to climb up them to hit him in the head. This is really great and great like contextualizing of the character's traits for gameplay, like using those stacks of coins as platforms. I just thought that that boss fight was awesome. Yeah. I probably have two favorites. I love the two-headed dragon, which harkens back to uh, Super Castlevania. Yeah. I do really love that battle. It's fairly simple once you learn the pattern, but you have to be really quick on that second phase. I love how the dragon kind of swoops around and his back just kind of splits open and it shows these teeth and they go in this kind of wave motion underneath you. Yeah. It's really, really cool. It takes a little bit of finessing. It's a not a hard battle, but it is a, a very rewarding and fun battle. And, I, and I'll say this. One of the cool things about the game is I feel like the boss battles get increasingly more difficult as you go. And so there's something I really liked about that. Um, and that brings me to my second favorite boss battle, which was... I don't know what the name of it is, and you can help me out with this since you have that pulled up, but it's the lady that's in the blood bathtub who has the umbrellas. Yep. Uh, she's called Bloodless. <laughs> I love that battle. It's really cool how you have to use the umbrellas and hit those to yeah. stop them and get on top of them because she's up so high and to be able to hit her. But there's two other phases, too, where she drops down this, um, I think it's fire, on the ground. And so you have to be on top of the umbrellas so that you don't get burned. But then the other thing is she has this like acid rain attack to where you have to be underneath the umbrellas so you don't get hit with it. I think that's just... Just a cool mechanic. I mean, that's so well thought out and awesome. I don't say it's one of my favorite fights because I think it's one of the harder ones and yeah. I had the most difficulty with it, but it was one of my favorite battles in terms of I thought the creativity was just incredible for that one. I agree. I like that one as well. Well, I think we cannot let it go unnoticed that the bosses all had these dying attacks as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they had these like last stand desperation attacks. Yeah. I'm going to tell you, playing on casual, I swear there was one boss that I got nailed by his desperation attack and I should have died, but I didn't. Don't quote me on this and don't correct me on it because I don't care. But I wonder if on casual, if they can actually hurt you. I'm not sure. But every time you take down a boss, they do some kind of crazy screen clearing thing that is very hard if not impossible to avoid yeah so i thought that was a really cool touch and it adds to the anxiety of like oh i gotta beat this thing oh my god what's he doing oh i think you're probably in the same boat as i was it's like holy let's see who's got the most energy left (laughs) (laughs) just like flip over to him really quick so you know you can at least make it through that final sequence Yeah, I thought that was neat, too. I really enjoyed that aspect of it. I hated it at first, but then, you know, it became a little more endearing, and I thought it was a really cool touch to add to the game. 
All right, man, let's go ahead and move on to the music in this game. Sean, I'll start out and get your thoughts on this. So I liked the music in this game. I will just say that like many other aspects of this game, it's just kind of like a B-tier Castlevania music Mm. to me, which is not a bad thing at all. I thought the music was very good and it was very much in the spirit of a game that wants to be like Castlevania. You know, I don't have any particular favorite pieces of music, but I just have that as a general feel of it, if that makes sense. Absolutely. I definitely agree with that. I don't think it was as strong as most of the Castlevania titles. It was a little too peppy in places. It sounded more like Mega Man music to me in a lot of spots. And I went back and actually listened to the soundtrack because I didn't pay that much attention to it. But when I went back and listened to a lot of it, I just felt like it just had this really kind of peppy sound. It wasn't as dire as the music is in a lot of the other Castlevania games. And so I'm not the biggest fan of it. This is not one of the vinyls that I would ever purchase if they put it out on vinyl. And I have all the other Castlevania albums, except for the new um, Rebirth that just came out. But a few of my favorite tracks, I did like Stage 4, which was called Blasphemy Unto Heaven. And track number 7, or Stage 7, which was called Defiler of Taboos. I'll say one thing. I love the titles of all these. Yeah, (laughs) it really fits fits into that (laughs) Castlevania series. And I'll just read a few of the names. Tragedy of Slaughter, Frigid Hell, and The Brilliant Void. Nice. (laughs) Just to name a few. Yeah. So we did have some comments on the thread from some of our participants. Crabmaster2000 says, I don't think the music stands up to Castlevania standards, but otherwise I think the game stands as an equal to that series. And our buddy, Steven, Disposed Hero, says, I know it's subjective and will come down to one's own personal opinion, but I'm really digging the soundtrack for this game. Stages 2, 3, 4, 5, 7, and 8 in particular all stood out to me. So, some people loved it. Yeah, Some people weren't quite as impressed. And uh, I guess I fall on the not as impressed side on this game. Sean, so let's get into our final thoughts here. And I thought this time we would start out by reading a few final thoughts from our participants. Our first one comes from our newest member to the forums, Zoido. He states, started to play yesterday and managed to clear the game in normal slash veteran mode. Didn't expect that to happen so soon because, as mentioned, I tend to lose patience while playing classic Castlevania games. But Curse of the Moon is not too long and gives you enough extra lives so I could play through it in one single session. It's almost scary how close those games are to Castlevania. And uh, I think we mentioned that before, and I definitely agree with that last statement. Our buddy Steven Disposed Hero states, I played this game back when it first came out, and while I did enjoy it, I feel like I didn't quite give it the credit it deserves. There's a ton of depth and replayability with all of the alternate paths and different playthroughs available. For a $10 game that was created mostly as an appetizer for a bigger game, they really went above and beyond with this one. 
I would easily rank Curse of the Moon up there with the best of the Castlevania series. All right, so some strong thoughts there from our friend Steven. Sean, I'm going to go to you. What are your final thoughts on this game? And you can talk a little bit about the ending you got. Sure. So I played on the casual difficulty, like I said. I, I got the ending. I don't remember it quite great, but I think like Zengetsu gets captured again by the demons and the other Yeah, he three, sacrifices himself. That's what it is. Yeah, and then the other three characters are pondering what happens, and that's what kind of prompts you to go and play the game again. So that's the only ending I've seen so far. You know, I really liked this game a lot. And it's funny because when there's games that are like appetizers to bigger games, this game really succeeded in making me want to play, if not the main Bloodstained game, to go back and play another Castlevania, whether it would be Castlevania 3 or one of the Metroidvanias any of the Game Boy Advance or DS games, I've always wanted to play those, all those something of the something games. <laughs> and, uh, you know, this really whet my appetite to get more of this kind of gameplay. I really like the graphics. I was a fan of the music. I liked playing as Miriam, female character, great moves, great special moves just cool sprite art and again knowing that she's the main character of bloodstain makes me even more intrigued as far as the main game goes and for this one curse of the moon i don't know if i'm gonna go back and play it again i kind of wanted to for this recording but i couldn't make the time and who knows if i ever will but it's a great game if you don't have it, access to it for free like I did. I believe it's only like 10 bucks on most digital platforms if you're okay with digital. And it's worth every penny of that. You can play it on the Switch, the Vita, Xbox, PS4. Like It's kind of a no-brainer. And especially because it has the casual mode with no knockback. So if you're like me and you're looking at Cartridge Club is playing Castlevania 3 for their playthrough this month, and it's like oh man, I would love to play that, but I've heard it so hard and people are complaining on their forums about how hard it is, you know? Mm -hmm. And it's like, eh, I'm going to stay away from that. But it's easy to recommend this game because of the varying difficulty and you can choose to what degree you want to be challenged by this game. And I will say, even on casual, it's not a cakewalk. It's not a game that's so easy it's boring or that it's too easy. It's just that people like me who don't have the kind of patience for that hard-as-nails NES-style game, we can get through it uh, with a little bit of effort. So, yeah, it's this is a, this is a really easy, like, total thumbs-up, like, complete recommendation for me. Awesome. Yeah, I agree with you. One of the great things about this game is the ability to adjust the difficulty to your liking, you know, as far as do you want to play casual or veteran, whether you have knockback or not. And I think that's one of the things that shuts a lot of people off from playing these Castlevania games. And I think one thing with us as a playthrough group that has maybe kept us from exploring more of these games is the difficulty often associated with them. And uh, I've completed the first and the second game, but I've never been beaten Dracula's Curse and that's one of those games that's on my two beat bucket list and you know I'd love to play through that sometime but that's one of the things I can say about the game it's a great throwback to that series but the best part of it is that it gives you that option to choose how you want to play the game and I think 
for that reason, opens itself up to a lot of different type of gamers. In Steven's thoughts, he said, I played this game back when it first came out. While I did enjoy it, I don't feel like I gave it quite the credit it deserves. And that's probably how I feel about it right now. And forcing myself to play the game a second time in this past week and getting up to stage eight, literally 30 minutes before the call, you know, I was finding a little more enjoyment in it. Now, I don't think that the branching paths are as dynamic as they could be, but at the same time, it does give the game a little bit of replay value for that reason. As far as being one of my favorite Castlevania titles, I can't say that it is. I'm not floored by the music. It's not memorable like it is in so many of those other games to me. The replayability, it's there, but it's just not clicking with me right now. And uh, once this goes on my shelf, I don't know if I'm going to be pulling it off again. Yeah, I mean, I definitely give it a thumbs up. Maybe a bit of a lukewarm thumbs up for me, but I'm not saying it's a bad game. It's a good game, and it's a great effort, and I would probably say a great companion piece to Bloodstained Ritual of the Night, which um, is a game that I'm very much looking forward to playing because, from what I understand, it's more of like a Symphony of the Night type game. Right. And so, uh, yeah, like you, it does make me more interested in playing the main game. So, uh, yeah, it does scratch that itch. Well, Sean, in November, we're not quite getting off that spooky train. Tell us about what we're playing. Yeah, that's right. In November, we're playing a game that I've been wanting to play for a long time, pretty much since it came out, because I love the developer, and we've played one of their games in the past. And the game is Hellblade Senua's Sacrifice, and it is available on Game Pass. If you have an Xbox One or a PC, you can play it there. And Rich, you're going to play it on the PS4. I didn't realize, it. does this have a physical release on the PS4? It does. Okay, cool. I believe it launched digital only. We'll go into that next month when we talk about the game. But by the time you hear this, you should already be rolling through Hellblade Senua's Sacrifice. And if you don't have a pair of headphones, you need to get them, right? I'm glad you reminded me of that. There's a little blurb at the beginning of the game that kind of urges you to play this game with headphones. And I know myself, I'm usually the kind of person that will say, don't friggin' tell me what to do. I Screw your headphones. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, that's just the way I am. But in this instance, I followed their instructions and it paid off really nicely because they did a lot of work with 3D sound recording and it really comes through if you're wearing a pair of headphones rather than just letting it come out of the TV speaker or soundbar or whatever. So highly recommend you just go for it that way. But either way, it's a great game and I can't wait to talk about it. Yeah, I'm not typically the kind of person that does play with headphones, but for this game, I'm definitely going to follow suit and do that because I want to get the intended experience from the developers. Cool. And then we've already mentioned in December, we're going to be doing a Wii Light Gun Games competition. We're, of course, going to be playing House of the Dead 3, Ghost Squad, and Attack of the Movies 3D. It should be a fun competition. I haven't quite ironed out the rules yet, but please stay tuned to the forum on rfgeneration.com, and uh, we'll discuss the rules and possibly a prize for the winner, as I'm still sitting here looking at the golf trophy. 
<laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, please, please be sure to uh, join us on the forums. And in December, sign up is already there. Already got a lot of people participating, so it should be a lot of fun. going to do it for another episode thank you as always for listening and a special thanks to all the participants of the playthrough in november we'll take a dark trek into the deepest recesses of the mind when we endeavor into hellblade senua's sacrifice available on the pc playstation 4 xbox one and the nintendo switch Be sure to log on to the forums at rfgeneration.com and we'll see you next time on the Playcast. Basketball. Bow. Mm. Halloween mm. candy? Yeah, man. <laughs> what uh, keto Halloween candy did you get? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm taking a little bit of a reprieve, you know, holiday reprieve. Yeah. You know, I had to go down and raid my kids' Halloween candy. And um, I had some Sour Patch kids today, and my son, like, was chewing my ass out for it. I was like, I was going to eat them. I was, gonna... I was like, look, dude, 
<laughs> Who drove you to go get the candy? So you owe me for gas. <laughs> Who bought your costume for 30 bucks? I was like, so the way I figure it, like I'm entitled to at least 80% of the take, you know? There so, you, you know, simple economics. You know, you got to teach your kids. <laughs> you can be all the things you've always wanted to be. Beautiful, sexy, easy as one, two, three. Just let your soul go. Just let it shine through. Just let your 